most people, when they take antidepressants, you know, get on it and then they're like, okay, I'm on this rest of my life. And you're just, you're taking antidepressants forever. Well, who else is benefits from your dependency on that pill? Big Pharma? What do you think the primary driver for most people to not do something? It's, it's, comp it's because it's, it's risky or it's uncomfortable. It's fear of failure. Yeah. And so once you, once you can put that where it belongs in the dustbin of history, you, that's when the first time when you actually can live life strong, you can just go, yeah, so what? Doesn't work out. It's not the end of the world. You just get up and go again, go at it a different way. In front of the fourth, fifth doctor that we had seen, the doctor looks at her and she goes, you have stitches inside of you. And still. We, still. So it was almost two years later. Get them out of me right now. Cut them out. Rip them out, bro. Do some lights up and bought all some equipment and just went for it, dude. So where'd you... When you failure. What is that about? Let's talk about it. You're all a big right. part of that, actually. You play, you play a role in that. <laughs> so... He's, Gonna spring it on me? No, I know, dude. You, I, I don't. You know, there's these people you meet in life, man. We're recording right now, by the way. But there's these people you meet in life that you don't realize the impact that the words that they have can have on the trajectory of your life, right? You're one of those guys. So I play that conversation in my head often that we had had over the phone um, when Pied failed, when that pizza place failed, mm. and I lost three, four hundred thousand dollars, everything that I had saved at that time and put into it, I called you and I was like, Hey, uh, would you be interested in, you know, basically helping me refinance some loans that I had had against the business that are at some more attainable terms and you weren't in a position or at a time or whatever the reason was, doesn't matter. But you looked at me, you, you turned me down for one and then you had said, oh, but I'll tell you something. You were like, I recently you know, or, or in my past, I've, you know, money comes and goes, man. And you were like, I, j I had a deal go south with a guy. Um, and I lost an asinine amount of money. Right. And then I don't remember what the exact amount was that you told me, but it was a lot. It was, it was made my m lousy $300,000 seem like nothing. Yeah, and so like a little short of a hundred million. That's so I was, I was close. I've told this story before on the podcast about you, <laughs> but Get to be the biggest loser. <laughs> Dude, it, that's, you know what, man? Um, you know, in the moment, it was really hard for me to hear that. It was hard for me to hear those words. But this shortly flourished after that. And I realized that, one, I wasn't going to get what I wanted, for one. No one's going to come refinance debt against a dead company. I'm just going to have to eat it. I'm going to have to find ways to make more money. And so, and monetize in my own way. So that's been my goal ever since we had that conversation has been to, I did find somebody that was willing to invest in a smaller amount and help me with some of the money. But overall, man, I've just been eating it just dealing with it and month to month. And there's months where I don't know if I'm going to make it and there's months that it's fine, you know, but, um, like the biggest lesson that came from it was you'll find a way if it's meant to be. You know, you'll make it work. And, and in those trenches, I'll never forget those moments. I'll never forget that conversation or that, oh, shit, what am I going to do, man? And so that's what the failure podcast was actually about and created upon was my struggles and my failures in my past. And speaking with other entrepreneurs or speaking with other people about, you know, that growth point and what happened. So here we are full circle.
Must and, say. Well, it keeps going too. That's right. When I was talking to my partner in this new business venture I'm doing right now, just a second ago, literally I got off the phone with him and, um, you know, we're looking for money because it just, it's taking a lot more to get off the runway, get in mm-hmm. the air as we, than we thought it would. And, um, you know, it's like you, uh, you always want to, to kind of under, let's see, you don't want to ever over expect and under deliver. You want it to be the other way around. Right. So, sure. and, and then just to get recentered that we both agreed that it's good to, to just know the real numbers so that you can go, you know, I had the expectation it's going to cost less and that we were going to get to break even quicker. So over expecting on revenue and under expecting on expenses was a, you know, it was a recipe for disappointment, right? So it's good that we have these huddles and we just recalibrate because mm-hmm. you just have the right expectation, you know, may not sleep super well just knowing the reality of it. But it just if you get your real, your expectations beyond or you're out of the, the reality, then that's where you get the big shock. That's right. where you just get blown out of the water. And, uh, and so just, you know, realizing that in business it is – it's it's not a sprint. It never is. And you know, I just it's interesting because I just got back from Kauai. I was out there with some some friends and uh, a couple of the people that are there. One of my roommates from uh, from college, another guy I've met. I'm partnered in a hotel with him. And uh, people say, "Oh, how'd you do that?" And I I can tell a story, and it's uh it's always to, it's always fun to do that. But then everybody's uh, odyssey, everybody's venture is different. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no one size fits all but there's there's fundamentals where you just go one one people i was talking to and they they were they were paying money to people to uh you know to help them find ways to make money it's it to me those are a lot of a lot of gimmicks you know if someone's selling a product and they're they're, you're paying them 15 or twenty thousand dollars to teach you how to do something like flip houses or something i'm always the first to say you know what (laughs) run run away sure because if that guy really if it was that easy he wouldn't be in there in that seminar. He'd be out there killing it, mm-hmm. flipping real estate. And so I look at it like, or he wouldn't be, if he was really altruistic about it, he wouldn't be charging for it. He'd be going, hey, man, let me show you. And he'd be doing it because it's like that that someone leading somebody else to success. Sure. And uh, not necessarily monetizing on people's dreams. I think that's a lot of people take advantage of, of people's desires to get ahead. And I, I'll tell you right out of the gate, there's just no easy button when it comes to getting wealthy. Um, and I'll tell you the guys that I was with out there, uh, man, they're some of the wealthiest guys I know. And I mean, and you know, lots of zeros and lots of commas, but mm-hmm. if you were to sit and talk to them, they're just super down to earth, but they did, they paid in their lane. They stayed in their lane and they paid the price. I mean, they, they just stuck with it and they didn't. And there's, there's failures. Those guys, they could tell stories about just getting totally, completely annihilated in deals, you know, where it's like, okay, gotta, gotta go work at Home Depot now, but they just kept at it. Yeah. And now they're, they're scaled to a place where, you know, uh, they could they lose several million dollars on a deal and it'd just be like, okay, let's go that, to the next one. That leads me to a good question, but I want to introduce yeah. you first. Um, one guys, welcome to the failure podcast. We're here, uh, episode, I don't even know what at this point again, um, if you're just joining us, guys, we're here. Because, well, I guess I kind of explained it at the beginning of this, which is dope. You kind of gave me a good reason to explain it. So we can skip past that. We're here to talk about failure. We're here to talk about the real shit that goes on in life and behind business. So, and not just business, just life, parenting, whatever you want that to be. Uh, but Judson Threlkeld, 
welcome to the podcast, man. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for inviting me. I love this. I've, I've actually, uh, you're one of the guests where I, I actually was like, I had it on my bucket list to talk to <sighs> you and I didn't ever think it was going to happen, man. But you know what? Um, I wanted it to, and I, I kept that in, in my, my pocket. You know, my wife was like, do you want me to hit up Judd yet? I was like, that guy doesn't give a shit about my podcast nor does he want to be on it no, like, why does he care it. i was like this is so cool <laughs> yeah but you, I, I wasn't gonna go hey man come on let me be on your podcast right i know that's that's <laughs> actually i hear that so much and and it's one of those things where that's it's perspective i need to shut up and stop thinking so small i need to think bigger but regardless man the one of the questions i had you've done a ton uh, in your life and that's why i'm so excited to talk to you about thank you yeah. um with with bitch with failure with i'm sorry with business and we'll just call it wealth in general, right? Do you think that it's more valuable or uh, a better fast track to wealth uh, by putting more thought and being more calculated with decisions that you make? Or do you think that it is better to be, to try more shit, to do more, you know? The answer that would come first to my head is there's a comment, no direct answer. There's going to be a combination. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, I think you have to have a passion um, I'll just tell you a quick, a quick, uh, anecdote about <clears throat> like the hotel I was, I met with these guys and, um, we were look, we were driving out to the site one day, we're coming back from, uh, we built one of the hotel down in the Dallas <clears throat> and I was talking to my partner in the backseat. He didn't talk very much. He's just one of these guys that just gets it done. He doesn't talk a lot about stuff unless you really get him one-on-one -on -one and then he's great. You know, sure. it like, just really opens up, but you know, <clears throat> we were driving back and, and I said, you know, you've got all this stuff, right? You got these hotels, you got these medical office buildings, you got all these apartments. Why don't you just enjoy life, you know, in several homes on the on the waterfronts and stuff like that? And, and I said, what's a, what keeps you going? Why why are you still doing this, right? Mm -hmm. you know? And um, he's in his fifties, and he kind of just stopped for a second. And he leaned forward. I was sitting in the front seat with the other one of our other, other partner that was driving, and he leaned forward and he kind of cocked his head to the side and he goes did you have fun today? And I go, man, I had a blast. And he goes, exactly. See, I think it's, you know, it comes down to it is it, it, you gotta be having fun. It's gotta be something that, I mean, you know, building things, no matter what it is, where you're selling things, some people are really into retail or you, like you were talking about Kippy and she's got her art and mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and she just loves it. And then she's actually figured out a way to monetize. Right. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a gift, you know, but I think that everybody could find that. And so when you talk about planning, you have to plan, you have to be realistic, right, about it. But also when I did my first commercial project, people say, what'd you do? Man, I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought I had a buddy who kept, he's a builder, kept bugging me about doing a multifamily thing over in Portland. So I sold my house in Central Oregon, it was my dream house, and had some equity and bought some property and demoed it. And even that was just a nightmare. I mean, we had all kind of asbestos and we had lead and everything. We had to abate all that stuff and it was real expensive and it just took a whole bunch of time getting people to get there and do it. Sure. And so at the end of the day, you know, um, we put together a really cool product um, and man, it was just a blast. But dude, I lost sleep. I mean, I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I didn't have a construction loan. So man, I was just going everywhere I could to find money, putting on credit cards, asking for increased lines of credit and paying this one with this month and then you sweating it out to see if I could get the lumber package paid for the next month. That was not the way to do it necessarily. I would, I probably wouldn't do that again, but I learned a lot about developing and, 
hanging out at the permitting office downtown Portland, talking to all the people and learning how they work and or don't or whatever they do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the, how the system works. And uh, as a result, I'll probably never ever do another project uh, in Portland again. Sure. But it, it just gave me a ton of education, so a lot of tuition. And I made a lot of money. Um, I had to pay a lot of taxes, but I used that to roll into the hotel. And then, th- and then that's what how kind of just things have been going. Um, but there's no sure thing, but I think, it, you know, you have to plan. But then I, I just think that with anything in life, you walk through the open door. I mean, you know, you don't... You don't get a battering ram and knock the doors down. You don't. You just go in the area that's in your lane, and you know what that is. There's things you're passionate about, and you go try to find a place you can monetize things you just love to do, right? Sure. I mean, I'd love to be a pro golfer. Can't quite hit the ball straight. <laughs> I can't hit it straight enough or far enough to ever do that, right? Yeah. But I think um, there's places like I was giving advice the other day, and I was just say, Stay, you're really good at this. Why are you trying to be an expert over here? Mm-hmm. That's an almost impossible place, and nobody ever makes really a lot of money in that. The people who do is like, I go, well, the guy who won the billion-dollar lottery, he'd tell you, yeah, I bought a lottery ticket. I won a billion dollars. He was one in 340 sure. million odds, right? So you you ask the, the wrong person, they'll tell you something that's just, you go, well, how'd you really do it? And I was really kind of lucky. Mm-hmm. But I'd say, ultimately, just you got to plan but you got to have a, a vision and you got to follow the dream, you know? And if you really believe in it, you're just going to keep pounding away at it. Even yeah. if you have to live in a box for a season, you know, People that, shit, that, that shithole doesn't seem so bad when you're, you're doing something that you love because yeah. you're willing to sacrifice more for that. I, I get that. I mean, every guy I know, I listen, the people that I know that have really the self, most of the people that I know are too self-made and they're, it, it's just chasing the dream. You know, I have a lot of patents and, People ask me about how to get patents and stuff like that. And first I say, I just, I said, listen, I'm not going to steal your idea. I have no, I have no desire. I've, I'll help you. Sure. Just tell me about it. And then, um, you know, some people I'd say you want to enter NDA if you want to, I'll sign an NDA with you or sure. whatever. But let's talk about it. And it's interesting just having someone that's walked through it and they get all excited about their idea that they can make, they're going to make a hundred million dollars off this thing. And I go, no, yeah, probably not. I mean, actually Un, very unlikely wouldn't bet on it. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is do you really want to pursue this as your passion? Do you see it? So like that, you can do planning. And I can help people say, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, go pay somebody $15,000 to give you a leather bound thing. Here's your idea. Here's what you should do. And, you're sure. going, and it doesn't help your, you get monetized or capitalized on the idea. So I think it's a path that, you know, you have to plan, but you also have to just follow passions and stay in your lane of things that you or know things about like if you're not good at math you shouldn't be doing anything in stock market stock trades and options mm-hmm. if you're not just a mathematical whiz where you can calculate right on the go you don't have to put anything in a, in a machine you need to be as far away from that as you can you need to be able to calculate complex equations in your head if you're going to if you're going to sure. day trade or or, or or trade options right and so if you're not good at math, that's not a place for you to be. You don't mm-hmm. just put, shoot from the hip there. You have to really kind of know what you're doing, right? And so those kinds of things, you just kind of, you fit you, you fit things in. Um, but I think also the other thing that I could take is is you find mentors. You find people that you respect that have been out ahead of you. Yeah. And then you go, hey, tell me, uh, teach me, you know? But, but if you have a mentor or somebody you respect that tells you, hey, you might not want to do that or, hey, do this. And you don't listen. Sure. I'd say just stop asking because most of those people will quit talking. If they if they see you, 
you know, you tell them to certainly they don't do, you don't do what they told you to do. They'll just, they'll just write you off. Right. You know, because they don't have time to waste on you. hundred percent. I think, I think, uh, where, where the basis of that question is on upon the amount of times that you have probably had to fail, but you, that latency, like that intermittent time from, Hey, I messed something up. You know, I, I failed really hard that latency in which you go, okay, that didn't work. What's, what's next? Like that, I feel like they're, for some people, they want to wallow in that failure right. and they want to say, okay, well, hands are tied. I guess that's just not for me. I guess I'm just going to quit. You know, where I mean, what I mean also with the calculated portion is, is going, okay, let's, let's absorb what just happened here. Right. Let's be calculated in that sense and plan for, you know, that not to happen again, learning from those mistakes. So I think personally, I've come to the conclusion with, if I could pinpoint on, on my own question is just, I want to, I want to fail more. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to mess more, more shit up because yeah. I feel like I grew and I learned so much from that. I'm not saying I wish that upon myself, but I'm more willing to embrace that, those moments now of like, okay, Be, that was not that being was afraid wrong. to though. Exactly. I mean, my deal is, is that you're never going to get anywhere if you're paralyzed with fear of failure, that's going to just blow you out. You're never even getting off the launching pad. Right. For sure. But I say that I to, okay. So the example is, is. Um, you know, what the, the biggest failures that I can think of if on my life, the, probably the top two would be, um, you know, the, the near hundred million dollars. So I didn't lose, like I didn't have a hundred million dollars. I, I, I got, I got pushed out a company. I started, I founded mm -hmm. this company and I had the majority of the shares in the company and, and, um, just didn't handle the situation like I should have and ended up, you know, I own 38% of a company that sold for $238 million. And it was an idea that I had. I sold, I, I, I got the company started. Sure. I got them all excited about this new method and new, new way of doing stuff. And I ended up being the guy looking on the outside, looking in and probably during the, one of the worst financial times of my life, finding out that, that my, the company that I'd founded it actually had sold for, and I, at the time I didn't even know it was that much. I just thought I was, that would have really <laughs> been a double gut punch, right? Sure. Just to know that it was that much. And, um, but I'll tell you, you see, talk about this, it's tuition. I look at it like, you know, um, I had this mentor here in the area and won't mention the name of the guy, but he's just extremely successful. And I was talking to him one day and he said, you know, <clears throat> he's very, uh, a very religious man. And he said, you know, if God gives you these talents, do you think that that's the only shot you got? He said, if, if you really are an innovator, you don't think you had any more ideas? Mm -hmm. said, it's tuition. You just learned about who you partner with and you learned about, you know, how you, you keep your cards closer to your vest, you know, cause right. I just thought you could trust everybody at the table and, uh, got sideways with uh, a guy that was a, as a CEO. Yeah. Cause I just wanted to, I just felt like that he wasn't being very honest about what, you know, the books. Sure. Well, my best play would have been just write it down, never walk away from equity and, and, and just uh, do what it takes to get along mm -hmm. and be a team player yeah, you never want to be the one who, uh, yeah, it gets the walk-in papers first, you know. Wow. And so, yeah, you just learn, and it was it was a tough lesson, but it, honestly, I I, you know, you just keep on going, you know. I've failed that I've had ideas that are great ideas, and we spent a lot of money getting in, trying to get into market, just couldn't get any grip. Um, a surgical device I invented and spent a lot of money, and we just shuttered the company just back in December. And it just didn't go. And you go, am I going to be all down crestfallen about it? And I go, yeah, I mean, it sucks that I lost some money. Get to write it off as a lost carryover. But 
but ultimately I'm disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything else. Like right now, where I'm building these uh, men's clinics, and uh, you know it's going to be expensive. It's a, it, I think it's a great concept, and I think it's going to be helpful. It's a testosterone replacement therapy and erectile dysfunction. It's called Game Day, and um, just <laughs> Game Day. Get it's your awesome. game on. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> Bring it. I, I could say a lot about what we are, you know, you know but uh, <laughs> boner brokers. Yeah, baby. Um, I love that. Making hard money. <laughs> right. Money the hard way, you know, whatever. There's but, too many puns you can use yeah, for that. We have, all, we have so much fun. We laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But it really does do amazing things for people. I actually started on tea. I'd never been on it. And my tea was a little bit low. It wasn't as low as I thought. I was sure it was going to be like in the in the basement you know what but made it, you th- what made you think you had low t low energy uh you know just uh, losing interest in things that should interest me to get sure. my drift you yeah know? i got you um because you know listen uh, erectile dysfunction is a spectrum right all the way from just loss of interest in sex to literally the johnson just won't work at mm-hmm. all and there's a lot of reasons for that surgically vascular disease and you know there's psychological stuff whatever Whatever it is, but we're in the business of figuring that out and treating it and nice. getting people back in the game, of, you know, but just making you feel better. It's amazing, like anxiety, depression, uh, weight gain, you know, you don't feel like going to the gym, strength, you just feel like you don't you lose your strength, like bringing in the grocery bags and stuff, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh man, that hurt my shoulder, and not being able to sleep very well, um, and all these things wow. are constellations. As you get older, you begin to decrease each year by about a percentage point. Um, after about 35, uh, your amount of endocrine function that you have for like making testosterone. So you know, and some people have higher, faster acceleration than others about that that decrease. And so, yeah, we've just seen it's really cool. And I can say just in two weeks, um, I already sleep better. I have lots of energy, and um, other things are good. Too. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, it's That's it's amazing. awesome, and it's actually very affordable. I mean, the nice thing about it is years and years, 10, 15 years ago, when it first started coming out, it was a little bit frowned upon. Yeah. Plus, it was like four thousand bucks for Jeez. a little little tiny thing of yeah, of no one's buying testosterone sipionate. Yeah, and now it's you know a couple hundred, two hundred fifty bucks a month on full subscription. Sure, includes all the meds, which is very reasonable. Nice for a three week game day, but I didn't come here to. No, to, please. To, yeah. yeah, you did. But Get I, your, I, promote yes. that shit. <laughs> Game day men's health right now. We don't have it in Washington yet. So, you're, you're Idaho, right? Idaho, yeah. Okay, Idaho. and you're trying to open, you said over the next few years, you want to open like 10 of these things, right? Would that be my dream? Yeah, I'd love to if yeah. I can. It's just ha- having the bandwidth to be able to do it. That, that so would be ideal. an idea like that, man, where does that even fruition from? Like It, it was, a you know, actually I didn't think of it. Uh, it was a, the guys that started this was Southern California and the the... the Founder of the company was, like, uh, he's a PhD in physiology, but working in the pharmaceutical industry, and just really saw a need, mm-hmm. and so kind of started this, you know, game day. And I thought, it was, you know, I love the whole. If you look at the logos and stuff like yeah. that, like our clinic has got, like Michael Jordan. It's a whole big mural in the wall, slam dunk, and well, there's a right. famous picture of him shooting that final shot. You know, mm-hmm. a whole big wall mural of that, like in our. In our man cave. So it's it's really different. It doesn't look like a clinic. It's not just like cookie cutter. Like no. you walk in there and the white walls and no. there's no it's like. Very, very cool. That's yeah. nice, man. So the guys come in, they feel like, hey, man, this isn't, it. you know, we, we have a lab and we draw your blood and all that stuff. It's a level, it's a mid-level um, intermediate, they say, complexity mm-hmm. lab. And I'm the lab director of that. But nice. um, but yeah, so it's it's fun to pivot. I'm, I was an IR doc 
at Peace Health for many, many years, like 23 years. Yeah. And, um, and I actually, IR is what for inter- those that don't know interventional radiologist. So I did like stroke interventions, okay. just plumber, you know, gotcha. pull the, the pipe is plugged up. We unplug it. And if it's leaking, we plug it up kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, it's body shop. It's, I thought it was really fun. I miss <laughs> some of it. I do. I got whole stories of other things I don't miss about yeah. it, but I almost cut my finger off back, uh, almost a year ago. Um, next two weeks on the 25th of February, I was opening some silverware. Uh, my son, my two sons go to University of Idaho, and they needed. My younger son told me he need need some forks, so I ran down to Costco in mm-hmm. Lewiston, picked up that flatware, you know, the Mikasa, right, twenty nine ninety five, and they and those each one of the in the display, they're all the rest in the boxes are behind it. They have that that cardboard hard cardboard display thing, you know, like people are gonna oh, we're gonna pull a piece of silverware out at Costco. And they're they're zip tied down with these zip ties. You could pull a four by four out of a ditch with those things, and they're really big, right? Yeah. And so all they had was this pair of like you know little third grade scissors, Fred, Fred Flintstone scissors that wouldn't go up underneath there. So I'm talking to my daughter on the phone, and I reached in the drawer and pull out a a paring knife that mm-hmm. I bought them that they'd never used. So it was extremely sharp, right, and very pointy. And so I was being real careful to push it away from me. This is a failure, by the way. It goes with the <laughs> podcast. It's, it's it's a failure, a big failure. So I remember that, uh, yeah, the first couple things I was able to get, you know, the, the little small spoon and the little small fork. Then got to the knife, and the handle was fun because there was a little space, but the blade was really tight to the thing, so I was like this, and it slipped out of my hand. So I just reached up to pull it back towards me, not realizing that the knife was not engaged with the carton. And in just like slow motion, I just watched that knife go come all the way out the other side of that finger. So then I tried to make a fist and I go, I grabbed, you know, you can immediately grab it and kind of make a fist and the mm-hmm. finger goes bloop, the wrong direction. No. Said, no, that is wrong. And at that very moment, I went, oh, this is really bad. You know, it's like that. You have this, you have this indelibly etched moments that you have and you go, okay, this is going to change everything. So, oh, wow. Had to have surgery, and then I went on. I took my kids to Hawaii against medical advice. I didn't get in the water, though, at all. I was very good, but it got infected. So I spent lots of days in the ER over there getting IV antibiotics. And finally, when I got back here, the doctor opened it back up and repaired it. And Wow, man. So it, it messed it up to the point where I just I had to So you, you could, is, is that why you, one of the reasons why you stopped doing Practicing, what you Practicing, yeah. I haven't practiced since then. Uh, was that hard yeah. for you, man? Yeah, man. I love being MacIver. I mean, it was, I had the coolest job on the planet. 23 years, you said? Yeah. You were doing something, and then you just... Uh, so, is this, do you ever think you'll be able to do it again, or are you just going to probably uh, call her quits? Well, look, I'm 59, so I thought I would just pivot. So, I went into men's health. Sure. And it's very rewarding so far. I mean, we just started. We've just been going two weeks. We're mm-hmm. in the third week, and we're doing doing real well getting people signed up, you know, we, you know, here's the thing. Uh, it's another thing about the modern male. We don't like to talk about our failures. A lot of guys won't, but it's very, to me, it is liberating to be a complete and total utter failure. It is actually, I love it. Yeah. I mean, there's no better place to be because there's no place, but up from zero, right. Or less than zero. Yeah. Also, who would you rather listen to? Who, who's what guy are you going to trust? You're going to trust a guy who tells you he's never, never fucked anything up and he never made a mistake in his life and yep. he's perfect. Or are you going to trust a guy who is, uh, said, yo, I've been exactly where you're at. And, uh, you know, probably 
worse in some cases and I made it out. Yep. Well, you, it's like that guy that there's always the guy, the friend of yours that every time you say, hey, how you doing, man? And they're like, oh, it's great. It's great. Everything's great. Shut up. I'm like, I, I just want to slap him. <laughs> there's no way that everything's always great. It's just absolute. I also know. feel like, though, you trying to have that conversation, though, with with a normal person, somebody who, you know, just like average Joe or something like. But my, my, my when my friends call me, mm. they're like, what's up, dude? What's going on? I'm like. You get you can't always just be the guy who has something wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. you gotta like wean my yeah. my uncle or his uncle, my one of my greatest closest friends. Every time he's like, man, like there's this one point in my life where I was going through some shit, a lot of shit. And he's like, it's just something else every week, bro, with you. And I'm like, I'm not trying to. I'm good. Like I'm gonna make it through it. I'm just letting you know. Like this is what I deal with on a daily basis. This is the shit storm and. You know, I think some of that too is we do it to ourselves and we pay too much attention to that shit. Right. The little stuff that maybe doesn't matter, you know. And I think it's important to pay attention to failure. It's important to pay attention to, you know, things that you can grow and you can learn from. But I think there's also like a limit, you know, where you're like, listen, like this ain't going to change. Just stop talking about it. Right. You know what I mean? Well, it's like, it's like a, a lot of people talk about things like the death of a loved one, like, or they, or a divorce really is something I did along. It took me a long time to get over my big marriage failure. And the failure started before it even started. Like mm-hmm. the, the failure of my marriage wasn't the marriage dissolution. It was just the failure of the relationship to begin with. Right. Sure. Um, but I'm convinced that, that, you know, you got to get, like I said, it really wrecks you for, and I, you know, for a long time I was like, I'm ashamed of how long it took me to get over that failure. But now I look back and go, you know, it took me the time it took me. I made me who I am. And so I'm like, I'm okay with it. Sure. Because, yeah. And I got to get through it. And yeah. Do you, do you have uh, a lot of friends, like close friends? Me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what, what, what's a lot though? I don't know, man. What, is, how many friends do you have in your, your circle? You could just call people. I think just what what I consider a friend is somebody that I could call at two in the morning if uh, I had no other options or whatever. If I got locked up for some reason, I was in jail and I couldn't get a hold of anybody else. You couldn't call your wife. You couldn't. Who would you call? You know, who are those people other than family? Oh, other than family? I know this is such, probably such a hard. You're like, yeah, I wouldn't I, do that, man. I don't well, know. No, I, I would probably just I would probably just uh, pay my dues and just. Get out. Yeah, I would just, I would have <laughs> sleep in the tank and just, you know, take what comes to I don't me. Know, you man. know, like somebody I look up to a lot, Andy Frisella. You familiar with this guy? Mm. Uh, he runs a company called First Form. You know, what First Form is. Is it here in town? No. He's, oh. he's anyway. <clears throat> he, he he sells supplements. Um, super motivational guy. Just just right. somebody that I I look up to and and his words is very very patriot uh a guy, and. uh you know, he talks about how when he re- when once he had a lot of money, he had to start this like trial thing with friends where like he wouldn't give he would he would let wouldn't let somebody in after like six before like six months of him, you know, having a friendship with them because a lot of people were there just for his money. You ever had that problem? Well, you know, it's good being uh, see um, the poorest rich guy, you know, <laughs> Okay. It's always good, okay. right? So you just, uh, you don't, they don't look at you like he, you, they kind of feel sorry for you. <laughs> Actually, they don't feel sorry for you, but they just know where you are in the, in the, in the status ladder. And, um, and people have respectful people for different things. Like for instance, you know, I've got guy friends that are, you know, own 
you know, huge businesses, 100, 100 million plus kind of guys. And, um, you know, and I saw what it took to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had failures along the way, marital failures. They've had business failures, uh, you know, some tragedies and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's, you. that's a question I don't think anybody's ever asked me was who had, who had called at 2 o'clock in the morning if I uh, got uh, DUI or something. Like, hey, man, can you come get me? And I'm like, I don't honestly know. Sorry for asking all these no, questions. That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. But, I, I, you know, I'm sure that there's several people um, – uh, you know, I'm trying to think about it even locally. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even know. I, I'd sit there and have to think about it. Probably, yeah. there, there's. I probably have a couple gal pals that I could call that just my really dear friends that I'd go, ah, dude, can you come get me? Sure. And they go, what? You know, yeah. And they'd give, they'd rib me all the way. It'd be funny to them, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but there's, yeah, I think there's a few, but I think close friends are a rare thing. Um, you know, there's. There's a lot of people that have a lot of acquaintances. This took me a long time to realize this, that, that there's a big difference between a true friend and a friendly acquaintance. Most people that you have are just friendly acquaintances. Because mm-hmm. a true friend is like that, that person that would come bail you out of jail or come pick, give you a ride from the... I mean, you say, hey, you get a late flight, and uh, you know you're, you're, so your phone ran out of juice, and you mm-hmm. can't Uber and whatever. You get a hold of somebody, you know, and they... Uh, or whatever, you know, like you can't... You need a ride at 2 o'clock in the morning. And there's a few people I could call that would get out of bed and come get me, yeah. you know, and I'd, I'd return the favor cause that's the type of thing you are. But those are, those are rare people, you know, and Super for good rare. reason too. I think that honestly, I think people, if you have too many uh, friends, you need to question if they're really friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, that's like a whole nother, whole nother topic. I'm sure just about, you know, how do you, how do you know someone's really a friend and how do you know you're really being a friend? Yeah, right? for sure. Well, I think you can, you, you can get too many of those. Like you just said, like, how, how do you like, cause a good friendship, you got to put in the work, man, you got to put in the work and return the favors back and forth to each other more or less. Cause friendship in my opinion is, is a mutual exchange of, you know, um, I don't know, not favors, I guess you could say, but just, you guys are putting in effort together. Um, to reciprocate, uh, I don't know, an exchange of, I don't, I, is, that, is that making sense to some way or am I sounding like, do I sound silly? No, it's, it makes sense. You know, there's a proverb that says a man of many friends is sure to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It talks about how, you know, if you have all these acquaintances, but there is somebody that you actually look around and the one who you walk in the room, the one that seeks you out, the one that against when you're failing or when you've just mm-hmm. lost or something's happened, they're there to hope to, hey, hey, man, you want to go get a beer? Hey, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, your and lowest there's, moments. And there's nothing that, there's nothing you can provide for them, you know? There's no, there's no tickets to the Blazer games sure. or like that. And I honestly, I'll tell you that some of the loneliest, I mean, I, this for a reason, but I'd say the loneliest places in the world are places of like people that are famous, people that are really, really wealthy because I mean, they don't know that they've got, you know, one of my, <clears throat> I was in residency, one of the guys that uh, I was in residency with grew up with uh, um, Andre Agassi, was, I guess he's mm-hmm. from Canada, right? And, um, and he said that that he used to go home, like before he was famous, he was always a really good tennis player. So he's famous for playing tennis like you are and a really good high school stud athlete or something like that. But then, you know, when he went up into the, you know, to the world, became world famous and world ranked, right? <clears throat> and he said... He was telling him one day, he said, you know, how do you tell your your buddies? So you got your bros back home that you grew up with, you know, and they're just barely able to, two, two nickels to rub together kind of thing is trying to make a payment on his truck. And how do you tell them, 
yeah, my jet, uh, the engine, I got it. I couldn't, uh, the engine blew on the right. jet. And I was like, so it's in the shop. You know, it's going to take about a million five to fix that bad boy. <laughs> right? So that's why Andre Agassi and Michael Jordan and all these guys hang out. Yeah. Because they don't talk about, I mean, they're they're like living in, you know, it's a completely different, it's a different world. It's not because that those people don't. But the things, the woes of the of the common man, you just kind of sit and you're like, yeah, I don't. And so that's what happens also in the world of whether it's profession or or in wealth is you find that you have um, it's harder to connect with people in the common plate. But you were there, you mm -hmm. knew what it's like. But it's also they so tend those, those birds of those feathers they tend to flock together. And the thing is what someone said, you know, let's say look at your five closest friends and you'll see your future for sure. And so when people say well, you pick your friends and I think it, I was listening to Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 rules for life book. He was talking about his friends from back home. Have you heard, have you, have you ever read that? I book? haven't read it yet, but I will. It's a good, it's a good audio listen. Cause he actually reads it. And he was talking about his friends from back home and just, just, just what a dumpster fire. Mm -hmm. He said, he's just get dies. And, and the only way you could get out of it is you just had to kind of pivot and go toward the light. You know, you, you start to seek out people that are seeking out great things. Yeah. And he said, if he'd stayed with these people that he grew up with, because they all ended up just, you know, some of them ended up dead mm -hmm. and jail and just, you know, just miserable lives and alcoholics and stuff. Is it heartless to, to know like that, that certain friendships or just like relationships that you have with people are seasons. Do you think, you know what I mean by that? It seems so. <laughs> yeah. They're, the they're way, like the seasons, way that, you know? Yeah. The way you cast it, it's like, well, because, well, because people, when I say that, like I, I believe that friendships or certain people in your life are seasons, right? You're going through seasons and you ultimately we're all selfish in our own way that, we want to be as successful as possible or we have a goal and we have a mission, right? You're you at your core, you know, I want what's best for me and my family. Right. Yeah. And I surround myself with people who are on that same mission, but for themselves. So what I mean by that is, is it selfish or is it, you know, I don't know, bad to think or to understand that certain relationships in your life may not be there forever because you maybe will reach a point where you're no longer even in that circle. You you're well above that and you need to go to the next echelon of, of people i guess well i th i think that if you frame it that way where it's a stepping stone um and you say this is i think it's the difference between saying what's best for me mm -hmm. where do i prosper where am i most at home who's uplifting i mean i've always been someone that seeks out the people that are at the place where i want to be yeah and then i try to find connections with them and you know it's like model to go if you really want to be a really good golfer, go play golf with people that are really good, not hackers. Sure. Because you go find a scratch golfer and say, hey, man, can we play? I want to play with you. Mm -hmm. If he'll play with you, then learn from him. You know? yeah. And I think that's the thing is that some people are just, you know, I had a guy a long time, a counselor when I was going through my divorce, and he said, you know, 85% of people are just followers and 15% are the innovators, mm -hmm. intuitive and intelligent people. He said, so if you're an intuitive, intu uh, intuitive and intelligent person, um, you're not going to have a lot in common with people that just, uh, you know, watch the news and just follow like the, like the masses, the sheep. And, um, and so, you know, how do you know where you are? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you know? Is there a test you can take for that? I mean, I guess you take an IQ test, but that doesn't mean you're intuitive, you know. I mean, you might be really intelligent, but there's a big difference, right, to have both of them. 
And so um, I think there's a certain responsibility there, but I also think that that's where you you seek out that. Is it possible for someone in the 85% to transition to the 15? I think absolutely it mm-hmm. is, but you have to have the desire to be there, right? And so, and the failure part of it is, is I remember looking back in med school and, and stuff like that. I had to go through a lot, obviously, to get into medical school and then through med school and then into a residency in, in radiology and then do interventional radiology. I failed a lot along the way, but I think I think I learned. I always, always, without exception, learned more from failing. Because go back and go, D, that's all right, and go dig up, and I go now I know it a hundred percent to teach it. Like, whereas if you got it right and you didn't know why you got it right, you didn't learn anything from it, right? You just guessed. Oh, I guess C. Did you guess C? Were you right? Did, what What did you know? You sure. didn't know it, right? You just got it. You just got lucky. And so I think failure has been a real thing that feeds. But I mean, I think some people just fail over and over and over again. Then you gotta say, well, wait, stop. Let's take a time out. Let's, let's do a deep dive into, you know, do some forensics into why, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's always a reason. Um, oftentimes you're just not listening. Uh, you're not using good judgment and, um, and, or you're just out of your lane. It's like, Hey, this isn't your thing, right? Sure. You know? Um, you know, the, uh, invention is another example. I use a lot of, there's a lot of failure. Okay. So in the world of inventing things, it's like almost uh, like going to Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. You know, more people fail. It's just a disaster. <laughs> it costs a lot of money. People sell. People lose their houses. They cash out their retirement and stuff like that. It's just a lot of failure. It's really hard to find a novel idea you can patent, and then you go, well, I got a patent. I'm going, so what? You got a patent. Can you can you monetize it? That's the money. Yeah. Can you make it f- cheap enough to sell it that people are going to buy it? Is it better than anything else on the market? Is it, you know, see what There's I'm saying? There's a thousand things I'm oh. sure that come with that too, with yeah. marketing and, and the teams and the communicate. Yeah. yeah. My very first invention, I mean, I, I it just seems so easy, this, this this draping system that me and another guy worked on and got a patent. Um, actually, we got patent pending and then we, are, we, we sold it and uh, licensed it to a big company. They really loved it. And we figured out pretty quick that, you know, we thought, ah, oh, man, this is awesome. $60,000 cash to sign here, you know, make exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. We thought we'd hit the jackpot, right? And then 30000 bucks a year minimum royalty plus the percentage of all the sales. And we're like, we're going to make a millions. <laughs> and then it's like, we just got the 30000 bucks the first year. And I was like, okay, got some sales. No. Well, can we look at the numbers? Oh, well, we're, we're, we're trying to decide what to do. And I realized that they had a $50 million product line that – this was in direct competition with, and it was easier for them just to continue to sell their $50 million line and put ours in the back burner because they didn't have to retool oh any of their gosh. manufacturer product. And so I was like, so did I feel bad about that? I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I did the best, you know, we did the best we could. We made a lot. Of, I mean, I made over the years, I made a lot of money mm-hmm. off that deal. Right. So I thought, oh man, it's, this is easy. Inventing is really easy. <laughs> no, I was just lucky, you know, cause then I had a series of failures after one after another. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you just, but it doesn't mean you don't do it. I was walking out across the field one time with my son. We were walking out to Union High School, and right at about the point I was ready to give up one of these ideas. And he's like, Dad, you've always told me, don't give up, don't give up. And I go, you know, I just think this is this is a dog. It's not going to go anywhere. And he goes, well, he said, just, just see it through. And I was like, okay, cool, you know. And I ultimately failed, but I think the key was we just, you 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 won't ever know unless you bled. You know, mm-hmm. we put it all in the field. We tried, and I don't think it was. I, I think we did our best, and it didn't didn't take. That's okay. You know, we just move on to the next one. Close it down. Um, yeah, it sucks. There's a lot of money in that one. <laughs> Ow. Um, but then you just go, okay, what was different? What did we do wrong? And we said, well, I'll tell you the key. 
the key to pretty much anything is if you, is sales. You got to find people that know how to sell stuff, and that that is a weird person. I mean, they're different. They're not normal, right? Sure. But they can sell jet engines. I mean, you could just put people that know how to sell things. I mean, you could just give them anything and go, hey, go sell this. And it's crazy. They just end up, it's like, what? You just sold six jet engines today, you know, for a million bucks a piece, whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I they just do that. And then there's other people that you have the best product in the world, but they just don't, they can't close it. Dude, I think sales is so, it's so important. And I think like everything bleeds into that too. Like when you can learn how to sell something, I feel like you can learn how to, like, because you ultimately you. You're selling yourself. You're marketing yourself, right? But you know, you know the critical thing to salespeople that you don't realize unless you really study them is they fail over and over on the again. daily. I mean, they fail hour to hour. Yeah. They don't let it bother them. They keep going. They go to doctors. These pharmaceutical sales guys that make you know five hundred grand a year. Mm -hmm. They have people blowing them off all the time. They have wow. people telling them no all the time. Did they quit? Nope. They keep going. They don't give up because for some reason. The lack of success, the lack of the of the sale, doesn't equate in their mind to um, their a personal failure. They just look at it like, "Yep, they didn't want it. We'll move on." You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They don't look at it like it's a. They don't take it personally. Um, so yeah, so you know something I think I have a hard time with. What? Knowing when to quit. Like understanding when to to give to throw in the towel. Have you have you feel like you figured that out yet for yourself? Uh, well. Yeah, you know, I think you got to draw it. That is where a lot of thought goes into it. Where you go, did we do? Have we tried everything that we can to make this go? Mm -hmm. Have we have we sought out some people, some good advice? You know, where people would go, yeah, we we found the guy in the industry and he was like, dude, stop. Yeah, right. And then I think that's that's where you go. We, you know, you you, you try every route to get a product to market, and if it just doesn't take, and you do your legacy sales and stuff. I have one idea. I have one. Uh, device right now is a really really cool golf training aid that i've got a patent on and have a really big golf company interested in it right now but i just have to get the legacy i've got to get the sales built up so they can go. they don't they don't partner with people they just look at it and go we'll buy it mm -hmm. and it's a very very simple idea it's very cool and the simplest ideas are always the best ones they're easy to make and you just go ah i wish i had thought of that you know but i think that again you just you have to you go, I do these tests. I do like test market kind of thing where I'll go to people and say, Hey, what do you think about this? You go to a golf pro mm -hmm. and you say, Hey, if you had something like this, would you use it? And if they go, well, show it to me. Yeah. And they use it and they look at God, this is amazing. I would use this all the time. I go, okay, how much do you think people would pay for something like this? I mean, that's what you, you got to do that kind of research. First of all, find the people that would use it and then find a price point that you think that people would pay for. And then you go back to the drawing board. Can we make it? And do our, and, and so typically the on most products, it's like 70 to 90% gross margins where you have to be able to sell it for, you know, it's a hundred dollar deal. Mm -hmm. If it's a hundred dollar market MSRP, you can't spend more than about 15 or 20 bucks. For sure. Yeah, and that's an 80% gross margin at 20 bucks. And so there's certain rules, just like in development, there's certain amount of money. You, if you say, Hey, my land cost is this and you do an apartment complex. There's a certain percentage that if your land costs more than a percentage of the cost of the total enterprise, you're not going to make any money on the back mm -hmm. end of it. So there's just metrics where you go, well, how do you know that? Well, you know that because it's just there's there's the rules of kind of like the time-honored uh, realities of developing where – and then you look at all the markets and the discount rates and stuff. And a lot of stuff goes into it, but the people who do it over and over, they they play by the rules. I mean, they can't they have to. I sure. mean – 
Otherwise, you know, you just you get, there's a lot of people that go belly up because they have some idea that they're going to make it work, but they're breaking the rules, mm-hmm. right? And so I think everything investing, everything has rules. And and so when you say that gets back to your question, you know, is it preparation or is it perspiration? And I, I'd say that um, you got to have both. But I think really honestly in my book, um, I think you can sweat against the grain and work your butt off. I've seen people do this before where they just literally just poured their life into something and nobody could have worked harder than they did. And it's just an utter failure. Yeah. And you go, well, was there a part of preparation is just doing some market studies and seeing, you know, is this really going to work? Is it a really good idea or, or is it just, or there's lots of good ideas. The world is full of people who think of, Hey, I thought about this. Da, 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 da. And you go, mm-hmm. yeah, well then there's a whole lot that goes be- between a good idea and a market, you know, market capitalization. Right. And so, and that gets back to failure. Are you okay failing? Because mm-hmm. you, like I said, you, you're going to fail, hundred percent. I mean, look at this: fifty percent of marriages fail, right? <laughs> so why do people even get married if you know there's fifty percent? Would you jump out of a plane? I heard a comedian the other day going, "Would you ever jump out of a plane if you knew fifty percent of the time?" And nobody even nobody nobody's got what a off. great comparison. Yeah, it's like, but yeah, we jump into it. I'm still a big believer in marriage, by the way, but. Um, but yeah, I think that again, if you can fail and then get up and dust yourself off and learn from it, then it's tuition. Mm-hmm. And eventually I believe, and I still believe this. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I've been pretty successful in terms of b- building a net worth that I think is pretty respectable. And, um, and I, I'm not going to stop. I'm not doing it for the numbers. I'm yeah. doing it because it's just fun. I sure. mean, if you're not having fun. I love developing like when, when I built my condo complex and I just, went through the soup to nuts about all the design and the colors and I picked everything, you know, mm-hmm. that's so when I drive by that. I look at that and go, man, that's a good looking building. I still like it. I'm like, yeah, I picked that color. So sole, sole key here is, is to love what you do yeah. and, and do it, do it, have fun with it. Yeah. Even if, you that's know, the thing advice, about it is what, what, what is success? I mean, you know, is it, is it a number? Is it like a net worth? I mean, people, I'm, I'm at a place now in life where I said, you know, you, you live without regrets. And I still got some good years left. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like in the fourth quarter. I just went from the third quarter into the fourth quarter. If I was a football game, I'm like, I'm like 23 seconds into the fourth I don't quarter. Oh man, AI is pretty weird. Technology is getting pretty crazy. It, it could be crazy, but I'm saying you, they talk about years versus good years. Sure. And, you know, just like with game day, we'd like to believe that we're going to create a, a system of, of healthcare for men that you get optimizing the good years you have. So, right. you know, average average lifespan for men in USA is about 76 years right now. It dropped for the first time in the history of our country over COVID for whatever reason. But um, you say, well, if you're 50, then you go, hey, well, it looks like I got 28 years on air. If I can live average, you know, I got 28 years left. I said, well, are they good years? Are they 28 years of you on a bike and going up and snow skiing? Are you just kind of you're going to be sitting there with a catheter in your ding dong mm-hmm. laying in a bed somewhere for the last five or seven years of your life. Is that the way you want to live? And so I think when people successful living to me is not to be a failure is to, is to live with regrets and you go, well, I always wanted to blah, blah, blah. Well then do it. Yeah. I always wanted to, hey, uh, what are you waiting for? Mm. Oh, but I, but this, but this, but this, mm, okay. Well, guess talk to me in 10 years and see if you regret not doing X, Y, or Z. Okay. That's, I, that's, uh, I'm just telling you, I said, that's my axiomatic, if, if people say, what do you live by? What do you live by? I said, well, I live, 
I'd like to say I live a life where I can make decisions where I live without regrets. You yeah. look back and go, am I going to regret not going on this stupid sunrise? <laughs> you know, I hate mm-hmm. the mornings. Got to get up at five o'clock, butt crack of dawn and get up and get drive up to somewhere and watch a sunrise. I typically would just say no out of the gate. And then, you know, I'm one of those guys that once I get there, I'm like, man, that is incredible. Wow. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, living without regrets. I mean, and you can know that. You can just say most of the time you know people know a lot more about themselves. I think than they give credit for. I think you know what you know. You know what you like. A lot of people don't want to face that because it's dark. Well, then change it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's ways to, you know, motiv- you know, the, the biggest motivator or lack of motivator for people who don't want to change is live in failure. And like say, say pornography is a good example. A lot, of, a lot of young men study, struggle. It's, a, it's epidemic, right, mm-hmm. right now. That's part of the reason why there's erectile dysfunction amongst 20s and 30-year-olds because everyone's watching porn all the time. And it, re, it changes the dopamine system and, and all that stuff. You say, well, why don't you stop doing it? Because, well, you don't hate it enough. Mm-hmm. There's no regret model there. There's no moral hazard to you sure. that you can think of when you don't see what it actually is. It totally wrecks sexuality between you and your partner. Right. And so things like that where you just go, well, how bad do you want to change? Well, you'll change when you hate it enough. If you hate being overweight or if you hate being out of shape or if you hate whatever it is that you're doing that you, you know, drinking too much alcohol, whatever it is, you'll go, well, you're never going to quit, are you? You can go to AA or you can go to Weight Watchers. You can be on every diet in the world. But until you hate not being healthy. Mm-hmm. You're just going to keep doing it. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, I, t- I totally get that. And I think uh, a lot of people just live wanting more, but you're, feel- you're, you're living in comfortability. You're living in this state of, well, I want out of this. Mm-hmm. But wanting out of that is comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the action that you need to do to get out of that is uncomfortable. And so many people are afraid of being uncomfortable. Well, failing, but like yeah, you just right, said. so you said you said it right there. What do you think the primary driver for most people to not do something? It's it's comp- it's because it's it's risky or it's uncomfortable. It's fear of failure. Yeah. And so once you once you can put that where it belongs in the dustbin of history, um, I think that you, that's when the first time when you actually can live life strong, you can just go, yeah. So what? Doesn't work out. It's not the end of the world. You just get up and go again. Go at it a different way. You yeah. know. And so that same thing with, with investing and making money. I mean, what's the point of money, right? You just go, it, you're having fun doing it. I mean, I wouldn't lie if I told you. I'd be lying if I said, yeah, it, su- it just sucks having money. It doesn't, you know? It's really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. It, it, uh, you, I mean, I, look, I'm, like I say, I'm the poorest rich guy I know. The guys I know that are just really just killing it, well, they're not any happier than I am. Yeah. They, they have more money. But you know what's cool about the people I know that are wealthy is – is that they just seem to have this quiet confidence of saying, we're good. And they're generous, too. It's amazing how generous that, that these people are. I mean, it's, it, that's what blew me away is finding out that they're not what people paint. You know, people paint really wealthy people out to be, you know, you know Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's quite the opposite in my experiences. Sure. Most of them are just incredibly generous. Does that and, motivate you to want to be more generous? Like, do you find yourself uh, No way, that? man. No, not not in your life. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've always been over. I mean, like I always, my, my IP lawyers always say, dude, you're way too generous. I'm giving up too much of your sure. equity and stuff to people. So I still like to have 
Um, I think I'm like a, uh, if I have a chance to bring people along with me, I, I, I will. Mm-hmm. I, I've kind of tempered that lately with the need to keep the circle small. Sure. Cause people get weird, you know, I mean, you have to have good agreements and, you know, buy sell agreements and good operating agreements and understanding and stuff. Cause people get weird around me, especially family members. It's the craziest thing. Oh, you know? I bet, man. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think, uh, I think people just get weird in general when you, when you do, when you partner, I, we've, we've talked about this for some time of finding a partner for devs. That was one of our, yeah. our goals, uh, you know, with getting out of the mess that we we're in, we're like, well, let's buy an investor. Let's buy somebody who wants to go down. We got a model. Yep. We can, I know we can expand like a cookie cutter model at this point with <laughs> this experience that it's put me through. So right. like, why can't I find an investor? But I just, I haven't been able to bring myself to one, be able to not want to get myself out of this mess by myself. Part of me is a little bit stubborn. It says like, I, I got myself here. Let get me get myself out. out. And the other part of me goes, I don't know that I can, I, I have a little bit of trust that, that goes, how does that relationship even work? Is somebody going to be as invested as I am into this? You know, it's like a baby, but I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird get go. I, I think just like anything, I think partnerships can, can really be a benefit when people bring different temperaments and talents mm-hmm. and convictions into a partnership. You have to be careful about being way off the center line of that. But if you can, I'm convinced that um, that typically a good, par- a good partnership, like for instance, you'd have like somebody who's knows everything there is to know about building stuff. Yeah. That person may not be very good at knowing everything there is to know about financing. Mm-hmm. So if you have a builder and a financer together, that's your money right there in, in commercial developing. You got to have, and I think every, I don't know of anybody actually, I'm sitting there thinking about the big developers in town here. I think most of them are in partnerships yeah. with, um, with the exception of maybe one, but they all have partners. They have, they have silent partners. You know, they have limited partners, LPs. Um, they put together these packages and stuff. But it's a lot more fun. I think you get a lot, a lot. The dynamic is a lot more fun if you've got people that are of like minded. So you got to, got to pick the right kind of people. That's what I mean. That's what I'm yeah. afraid. What does that even look like? Am I interviewing people? Am I like sitting dudes next to me and just going like, "Hey, what's your interest here? This is what I got to lay out." Does this, you know, what, or does it just go from networking and you unknowing people with similar interests and reaching out to those people and talking about your ideas? Well, you know, I think, I think a couple things for me is I look at someone's uh, nature of generosity and see how they look at money. Mm. Um, if people are just all about money, they're going to be horrible partners. Yeah. Um, if they're pretty chill about it because they know there's enough to go around. So do you have a deficit mentality when it comes to money or do you have an abundance mentality? And I think that's a big deal to me as people are always like, oh, I don't have enough, you know. If the people are going, man, I'm blessed. This is good. Let's keep going. Yeah. Those are the best types because, you know, they're not going to get all been out of shape about some failures or loss of money and stuff. And so like I said, I was just talking to my partner, game day partner. Right when I pulled up here, we were just having a, a huddle. We call mm-hmm. him, you know, huddle up, huddle <laughs> up, game day. Dude, that's yeah, so it's cool. Fun. And, um, and we just needed to talk and just get on the same page and we were on the same page, but you know, we both said, Hey, we just need to know what the numbers are so we can adjust our expectations to reality. So we don't, you know, the horrible thing is if you march along and I'll see you go, Oh my gosh, what, you know, Mm -hmm. we're upside down or whatever. If you see it coming, you can prepare and go, yeah, you know, we figured we'd be about here right now. So it's realistic. Yeah, it sucks, but 
we're, we're headed in the right direction or man, what are we doing wrong? Let's, let's pivot and try to do a different, let's, let's quit doing radio ads and let's just go straight into the search engine optimization type stuff with Facebook and, and Instagram and, and stuff like that. Having hard conversations. Yeah. And going now, oh, this sucks. You know, I'm getting yeah. thin. Like, yeah. well, I mean, these businesses cost a lot of money and as you know, I mean, when you have staff and stuff and you're not making any money out of the gate, uh, you have a huge startup. It's a ramp in, that you're still feeding that thing mm-hmm. and you're not seeing any, you know, Dude, any returns. And I've been cash flow negative for because of the the pie lost here for mm-hmm. almost two years straight. And I've I've just been going Yeah. Is there a light at the end of the time? <laughs> there is now. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I'm I'm uh next month um I'll probably delete this part, but uh yeah. next month I drop uh or not, is it next it might be I should know this. I'm counting down the freaking days at this point. You know <laughs> Hours. What I mean? Dude, yeah. yeah. But I have a, a big, I took an MCA loan out like right after I started and consolidated everything into one. And it's like 14, 15 grand a month of, of paybacks, which is huge yeah. for me. Like that's, I mean, I mean, we probably net 25, 30 um, on a good month right. of, ca- of good positive cash flow. Yeah, right. Yeah. Huh? That took up over half, half of that. Of it, yeah. So, and not only that, Plus there's, there's other ones. There's, there's two more that we didn't, couldn't consolidate within that one that are still chilling in that realm. And so in two months, I think it is, uh, that drops off. And, yeah. Well, you told we'll me, be like, I, 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 that's congratulations, man. And you told me that back in the day when we talked about this, I think, you know, without getting into the gory details of it all, but just that there were things that you already knew that you'd learned from it out of the gate, you know, you go there, well, this is kind of, yeah, I won't ever do that again. And, and, and I mean, the key is, is that's what you learn. So it's tuition. It's a heavy price to pay, mm-hmm. right? You can, but it, it's still tuition. And the beauty of it is if you learn from it and then just have, don't do it again, yep. you know, go a different direction, then you, you win. So it's, a, it's just been a weird situation for me because I hated the fact that I knew that the business itself, like the model, like part of me still thinks like, why didn't I just drop it, quit it, cut my losses, start over? Like I'd almost be in a better position because I know the model, like I can replicate. Right. And, but the other part of me goes like at this point, like the reason why I haven't quit is because I know it's working. Like it's cash flow positive in a sense that right. if I wasn't accumulated off of this stupid, bad debt that I right. wouldn't have this fucking problem. Right. Right. And that's the most frustrating part to me. And that's why I never, that's why I couldn't give up on it. And I haven't It's two years so, in so. so you asked a question um how do you know when to pull the pin yeah you know and to bail out because uh, i'm curious for myself well i <laughs> i i think that's uh i mean a lot of people give up too soon yeah and that's a big problem and then um but i do think there's you know it's just like in in the stock markets there's a time to cut your losses mm-hmm. and you just kind of get out you, you go yeah i just I just lost 90%. Are you going to let it go all the way to zero? Are you going to go swallow your pride and go, just lost 90 grand? Dude, I just wish that I understood where the quit, like where was, because to me, I'm like, I'm going like, okay, I can do this. I can shuffle this. I can move this around and I can like do it. What is, what is a losing a a business look like? What is the closing, like absolute drop dead zero? I got nothing left, Uh, you know, because you know, as I know, you could push a loss out. You know, you could push a close of a business out a long time with just collecting more debt. Well, I think it's a function of 
of several things, not the least of which is your revenue cycle just goes to zero and mm-hmm. you're actually feeding it and you go, how much longer, what are we doing different? Yeah. You know, if you have a game plan where you go, Hey, we're retooling, we're, we're pivoting in this market space. Um, you know, just in the process of closing down a company that, uh, had lots of potential, but we just kept feeding it. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of fees that go along with maintaining, uh, you know, FDA approvals and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So we just kind of came down the line and said, well, we've tried this. Um, you know, I still don't, don't think we really did everything we could do to get it going. Um, and some of that's just philosophical differences when you have partners. And that's sure. the reason why having partners can be a good thing and having partners can be a bad thing. Because what happens is you have somebody that's really, really resistant to having other partners or bringing in equity sources or borrowing money. Or let's say you have somebody who you want to bring in. You go, um, an example would be like with Safion, you know, we brought this guy in. Um, that we felt like that this dude is so well connected. And so let's bring him into the medical advisory board because um, the dude's just a stalwart and in, in everybody knows him mm-hmm. and uh, in this in this sector. Um, and so it was a no-brainer. Well, some people would be like, well, why are we bringing this guy in? You know, you give him some equity and stuff like that. And I my thought was, well, because we're not going to have nearly the traction and credibility but this guy comes on board and all of a sudden you've got this big mucky muck and other people are going to go, Hey, we want to invest in that too. So we're sure. looking for money and we're also looking for credibility for the idea, for the idea that's now Venus Hill. And, um, and he did really well. The guy that came in is still very, uh, I, he's a mentor, a good friend. And, and I, um, I got very wealthy, um, off the deal, you know, but so there's a having, there's a partnership there. You go, why did, why did it fail or why did it succeed? Sure. And I think, you know, I, I've seen things, Having a bad partnership um, is probably, I mean, a bad idea is the worst thing, <laughs> but you can have a really good idea and really good and uh, lots of potential and you got two people fighting at each other and they get the lawyers involved. Next thing you know, the, the revenues don't. And the whole company, nobody's going to touch. It's it's a, it's radioactive to try to build a business and sell it when you got people fighting against each other on the inside. That's a disaster. Yeah. And so I think, again, it goes back to when we we're talking about partnerships is you got to be really careful. One of the, there's a big mucky muck here in town. I don't know if you know David Nuremberg, but he's he gave me this advice years and years ago. He's a big he has uh, 4D family funds and stuff, and he's a big uh, he's a neighbor and kids used to trick or treat together and stuff. And mm-hmm. he told me one day, he said, you know, I was talking to him about uh, a contract that we had with uh, a, a PSA for, with the hospital and just what they're doing, blah blah blah. And he said, he goes, you know, because you trust the administration. Do you think they're got good people? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I knew the guys at Joe Cordum and the gang. And uh, they were good, good people. And I, he, I just, and he said, yeah, you know what? No agreement is going to protect you from a bad actor. They're going to sue you. So just know that if you're getting in bed with people, whether it's business or a contract or marriage, mm-hmm. you know, are they trustworthy? And he goes, if you don't trust them, no agreement's going to protect you from the malevolence of the person that's untrustworthy. So he says, it's so good advice because just, I just went, well, do I want to work here? Do I like these people? Do I think they've got my back enough to, okay, the contract's a necessary thing. It's a necessary sure. evil, right? Because to some degree it does it does provide some protections. But one thing it doesn't protect you from is litigation within a partnership. Mm-hmm. So when I said earlier what I think is really critical to having partners, is how I look at money, how I look at generosity, and and are they just honest people? Yeah. Um, my roommate from college was in Kauai with me and he does, I don't know, he's got a couple billion in, in development or maybe, maybe a billion, whatever. Um, he's got 15 big projects and his projects are like 150, 130 million. They're huge 
million square foot warehouses and wow. stuff like that. But I'll tell you, I, I've invested a lot of money with him, mm-hmm. but I know him to be the most honorable and honest person I've ever known. I mean, I've roommate with him when we, he'd, he'd have our, he'd split up like our, all our expenses and sure. our electric bill and stuff like that. It'd be down to 17 cents. You know? <laughs> and he, you know, he could easily be a piker and kind of, you know, kite off a little bit of, you know, here, oh, I'll round up and he'll pay the rest of the dollar. Sure. No, he did it down to the penny. And um, just because it was fair, mm-hmm. you know, he just said, hey, let's just make it fair. Yeah. That way you can't, you know, when I, uh, when no I, questions. when I founded this uh, radiology group here um, uh, it, at Peace Health, you know, uh, my rule of that was I wanted people to, if they ever left, it wasn't because they felt like they were mistreated or treated unfairly. I said, I had, I had the moniker that says, you might not like it, but at least it's fair. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of take that with me in everything. I go, you know, it's fair. I mean, sure. you, might, you could take it, argue all day long. You might not like it, but it is very fair. Like my call, nobody likes to take calls. So we even it out, but <clears throat> there's ways to make things as fair as they possibly can be. And I think that's, you know, critical to a good agreement is just to say, are you being treated fairly? It's one thing I'd ask to somebody when you want to know, um, when you're going in and you're talking to somebody that's working for another company and you start asking them, you know, Hey, we're thinking about mine, this company, whatever we treated fairly. Hmm. That's a big question. Because That's fairness, good. fairness, uh, I think it 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 directs to character. Yeah. Of the people, like if someone has someone of good character, they're going to be fair minded sure. about things, and they're going to go, you know, when they, everybody worked really hard and people stayed late, um, they, uh, you know, when they, they did really well in a poor, in a downtime where people all said, yeah, you know what, I'm good, I'm, I'll work extra, I'm not going to be on the clock, you know, because mm-hmm. I want this, to, I want to keep this job, I want to stay, and then all of a sudden things get really good. Well, a fair boss or a fair owner would go, you know, you guys really, we could have sunk this easily because of you guys. And they just hand out these incredible bonuses. And I'll tell you a story. Um, that happened. I'm, I'm friends with the people who own uh, Ping, the Ping family, Ping Golf. I haven't heard of it. Ping, P-I-N-G. That's a golf company, like TaylorMade. Oh, okay. Okay. Ping, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. And um, they have, they, they're telling me a story that, you know, the, the company um, has incredible uh, loyalty. But they treat everybody like family because mm-hmm. they realized years and years ago that if you treat people fairly and you're very generous with them, mm-hmm. they become very protective of the product and the company and the name brand. So they, they conduct themselves in a way that right. is honorable, right? And, uh, and then when you reward them, when things are, when things are tough and they, they, they see that things are tough for the company, they become you know, committed to being a part of that. And then when things are, are really good and they have a lot of profits, I mean, they pass out incredible bonuses all the way top to bottom. I mean, mm-hmm. even the people who like, you know, take out the trash get to share in the bonuses as the loyalty bonuses. And so it's really cool. It's a great paradigm to say people are, are treated fairly, you know, and, yeah. and generously. And what happens ultimately is they show up, you know, have to tell them to, Hey, you need to clock in. Oh no, no. You know, I got to <laughs> I don't want to get over. <laughs> Dude. I, uh, one of the coolest moments I had was being able to give some, I, I haven't been able to do it in years two years but was beat was giving out bonuses mm-hmm. wasn't that much it was like 500 bucks yeah you still. Know? but like it felt so good man just like because i know they like both of the people that we gave it to at that we didn't we weren't huge at that time but um it was like around christmas time just both of them we gave it to were just like what you're giving me this you yeah. know so appreciative dude right. like i remember the first time i got a bonus when i worked for a discount tire and uh, I had just started and it wasn't much, man. It was like 150 bucks. Okay. Still. But 
and and the checks these dudes were getting were way were huge right but right. what was cool about it was and this is how i knew which is which is a phenomenal company i'll back them up all day they're, they're agree, great to 100%. work for man I, um, I think they're great. They had, uh, when I started, I was just, I think I was, uh, I was 19 mm. and I had just started right in the time where everybody got their Christmas bonuses, but I didn't make the cut long enough. I didn't work there long enough to get a bonus, like an actual check. Right. I had been mm. there for like maybe like a month. Right. And, uh, all the dudes like came that, that got big bonuses just came together and gave me like 25 bucks. They all pitched in their money, their own personal money to make sure that I, got something mm. and i thought that i was like yo this is the dudes i want to be around like, right you know this isn't yeah, it makes you loyal yeah it um, wasn't like they didn't care you know i didn't get any i wasn't expecting anything you know but they pulled me in the office and they were like hey man like here you go this is for you i'm like what like i never got a bonus before what is this you know but it gave me that sense of understanding that you know it even 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 though i was a new guy and i didn't earn it yet yeah. that that i was a part of something right you know and they were they were going to include, include me with that so That's i think cool. it's bonuses are cool man i i think giving is really cool i think gra- finding gratitude with that is as i'll say it time and time again is there's nothing more valuable in life than than feeling that feeling of gratitude absolutely and i think i was talking to my cousin the other day i said you know what's the best way out of of like depression and anxiety and stuff like that people you know get negative attitudes and garbage in garbage out you know if you people don't realize that what you think about the most is what you're actually meditating on. And when I grew up like Baptist, Baptist thought the meditators were people, nyah, 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 Eastern yeah. religion, you know, the you know, crisscross applesauce and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, we thought that was meditating. And I remember my, my cousin's a psychiatrist and when I was going through the first parts of my divorce, I was just really, really couldn't sleep. And it was really, um, he goes, Hey, you having trouble sleeping? And I said, yeah. What do you, and he goes, what are you thinking about? And I just told him, and it was all this stuff. He goes, you know what you're doing is you're meditating on your trauma. And see, this gets back to gratitude. He says, um, if where your heart, where your mind is, as your heart follows and your body follows, everything follows behind that, right? So he said, he goes, you need to be repositioning your mind. Put your mind in a space someplace else. And he, his idea was, I mean, he's a very spiritual guy, and he said, just you know, find a, vi- a verse in the Bible that's uplifting and just say it over and over and over. So I picked the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Probably said it three and a half million times <laughs> over the course of several years, but dude, it just got my mind into a different plane, right? Sure. So so ultimately, fast forward, if you're not religious, whatever, um, you know, a heart of gratitude, there's actually studies in medical journals right now where they used uh, these models of people where they would in, they would get people to to focus, um, daily. So it'd get up and say, they just, they did this study. I think, I think, um, it's interesting. I know that Jordan Peterson talks about this too. It was just fascinating at how someone looked at their own life, their, their health and their gentle, their general, uh, mental conditions were when they had, um, specifically focused on issues like gratitude, like things say, what are you grateful for? And just list these things. And then each day, remind yourself of what these things are you're grateful for. Because it's fine. The negative things are so easy. That's that's mm-hmm. our our default is not gratitude. It's like our default is woe is me. This is horrible. Oh sure. my god, my world. The sky is falling. Right, and that's kind of what you see. You, you have to fight. It's swimming upstream is to be grateful. It's not like falling out of a tree. Right. Mm-hmm. Depression and anxiety and all that stuff. That's gravity. Yep. Because the world, it's a, it, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. And then when you overcome that, you go, well, what, how, do you, how do you fight it? I just think what you said is it, it's gratitude. 
be, be grateful for the anything. Just start picking something. It's weird how it multiplies on itself, you know, and it's easy to think wrong. So you're, you're so if you, so there you go. If your mind is primarily focused towards the negative things that can happen, oh, this we could fail. Da, da, da. Yeah, you're probably gonna fail. But worse than that, you're gonna be miserable, right? Mm-hmm. You can fail and still be <laughs> still be grateful right. for the experience or the learning part of it or whatnot. So I think I think that's um, that's it, it's it, you're failing when you're not grateful. You're failing because you're gonna they're, they're gonna live life with regrets. Yeah. Because the biggest regret is gonna be just your attitude. Shitty. It's gonna be like you're. See what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you just, you just people don't realize you have a choice. And I think, uh, you know, and I, you you correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like there's, you know, there I think there is cases where people do have a, you know, a chemical imbalance in their brain that doesn't allow them to think like, you know, everybody does in a sense, but I think ultimately I'm I have a choice on what I think about and what I put into my brain. Mm. You know what I mean? What and that has that that is the biggest game changer for me and hasn't always been about what I choose to think about in the morning and how you know that that projects upon my day like even just like the first thing you do when you like people talk about when you wake up you wake up and and you grab your phone if you grab your phone and the first thing you see is something negative or you, you even if you do wake up and you just grab your phone versus just thinking about something you're grateful for like you're like yeah. you're talking about like it's momentum, right? right? It's practice. And when you can habitually change, you know, that practice. And it, also sure. people think it's easy. People yeah. think it's easy to wake up and just go like, shit, man, what am I grateful for? You think that's fucking easy? <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, you right. know, it's a practice. Well, it's, it gets back to the happy guy. Yeah. He's, he's probably miserable. Right. But the point is, is like I said, that do you know who Simon Sinek is? That I guy? do. Yeah. yeah. So he had something interesting. He was talking about dopamine and how, how, how the internet and the likes and everything is really destroyed because it becomes like addiction. You know, you want mm-hmm. the like, 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 and he said, but you can, he said gratitude is a conditioner too. Right. And it's, it's, it has a direct impact on your neurotransmitters. Right. And so I mean, my cousin's a psychiatrist and I said, he's adolescent psychiatrist and, you know, he'd be the first person to say, yeah, there's real functional. The brain gets sick, just like the liver and the kidneys and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. The heart gets sick. But, but a lot of it's driven actually by, um, but where you take yourself in the neurotransmitters, where you take your brain, right? If you're just always concentrating on the negative stuff. And Sinek was talking about it, uh, a study they did where they measured hormone or, or neurotransmitter letters, levels. I don't know how they did it, but anyway. And it was the same type of study where they, where they had people introduced to and watching positive, uplifting things. And they had people watching like horror stories and mm-hmm. failures and da, da, da. And he goes, it was just, it was just bizarre how correlated it was to certain dopamine and serotonin levels in, in, um, um, GABA, yep. you know? And so anyway, um, so th- that's, it's, it's real. I mean, it's, there's nothing, uh, that I think it's scientific. And so, you know, to say, I'm going to go my own way I go, well, how's it working for you? Mm-hmm. Right. The best thing you can do is just go, well, you know, it's not. Can I ask you a question about, uh, again, and I don't know if this is something that you're, I'm, I'm sure you are familiar with this, but like with anxiety and depression and putting people on medicine mm. with anxiety and depression. Um, you know, my wife has previously been on it. Uh, girls that I've been with in the past have, have been on, on certain medications for depression. And how much of, of, of depression and anxiety do you think that can be solved by just talking about things like this and practicing things like this? Or do you think that there is? Well, this is going to be, 
one of those swags because it's not my field. I mean, I'm I'm more of an interventionist, but I just think in my estimation. So this is my opinion, and it's just a scientific wild ass guess. But I think um, there are. I I, I look at um, psychotropics and and antidepressants and anxiolytics. You know, anti anxiety medications. I look at those like they're they're good in their season. It's good to, they're, they're great. They can really intervene and, and get people out of a funk. Like seasonal affective disorder is very real in the Northwest. And I think some people need Lexapro for a season because <laughs> they're just so dark and dreary and it's like, you know. Sure. But the weird thing about it is I, I think that we've become so connected with polypharmacy. Everybody's just said, we get a pill for that. Got a pill for that. And right. that's where we've been for the last 30, 40 years in, in Western style of evidence-based medicine. And I think that there's a, a shift on the and, and it's not just on the horizon. I think we're in the middle of, of, of a shift right now, kind of re-examining that and um, as being the primary, the first, the first, um, you know, knee-jerk reaction to depression and anxiety. I mean, there's so many people that take ADHD medicine. I mean, right? Half the people I know are like, "Well, I'm ADHD." They're, they're on Ritalin and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Different variants of Ritalin. Speed. Basically, it's just speed. Dexamethorphan. Yeah. It's all. It's just speed. <laughs> Call it what you will. It's I, why do people? Why do people crave it? Where, it's, when? You it's know, meth, man. Right? <laughs> it's methamphetamines. It's just it's legal. But I'm not going to down it. I just say that is that what you're going to be the rest of your life? Really? Are you going to do that? Or are you going to work to try to find your way to get out of that? Mm-hmm. And what patterns of behavior can you do? What changes can you make to go? This is a totally different conversation. It is. Where'd you go with this? Where, where are we going down that road? Dude, I'm just curious. It's a rabbit trail. It is. Well, no, but I, it's okay. No, no. It's just a pretty... Okay, let's talk about it in failure. How, how does failure... <laughs> doesn't how necessarily do, need to be how, about that. I, how do we fail? My question re- regarding this is, is you know, mental health. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's huge in the mental health industry. And I think, like, even just... just th- dude, this year so far has been a wave of people just being like... Like, more, I feel like, so now than the last few years of, of trying to people trying to take care of themselves and like retake. I don't know if that's good. Oh, it's people. good. It's good. You're saying it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Opposed. Oh yeah. hundred no, percent. I, I wouldn't aware of that. So that's a good thing. I mean, I, again, it gets back to what I say about, I, this is my belief about any medication or anything you say, well, how, when, what are we doing to get you off that? That's, that was my question was yeah. realistically, cause I feel like most people when they take antidepressants, you know, um, don't realize that it can be beneficial if it's if it's a seasonal thing but people get on it and then they're like okay i'm on this rest of my life and you're just you're taking antidepressants forever there's no effort to want to will to want to not be so dependent on a pill well who else is benefits from your dependency on that pill your family no one i think who maybe your family friends big pharma Oh, that's yeah, of course. Okay. No, we can no, go this. I mean, I'm pal. thinking if you the deal is honestly is that they have everything, everything to lose and nothing to gain by people getting off the pills. Yeah, I get. And it. so you say that you know, is it are they horrible, nasty things? No, but if you're if you're if your idea is to make profits and you want to do everything you can to make profits, you want to get people addicted to the pills so they never come off of them. I yeah, mean, that's just a that's that's a definite you know that's a sure thing money maker. So again, like I said, it's like same thing with counseling, you know, get me started on that. I just think to me, the best counselor is someone that says, okay, are you here to just get a coping mechanism or you're here to get healed? Mm -hmm. Because if you're here to get healed, I'll help you. If you're here just to find a coping mechanism, I'm not going to be your perpetual, you know, bitch sessions for you. I mean, Mm. and I think that the, the key is, 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 are they willing to say, Hey, you're good. You're doing great. Right. See ya. 
No, are they going to give it that $150 a week counseling session? Oh, man. I mean, there's, do you see what I'm saying? So do you really want them healed or do you just want them to a place where you, they need touch-ups all the time? Whenever I freaking talk about this topic, man, my brain always goes in the way of like, how did, how is it possible to like, like go about something like helping or healing or, you know, where they, I don't know, like without it being a financial thing, like, is it possible for it to go in a path where it's can, people can make or should make money off of what you're doing, but not, that shouldn't be the goal. Like, is that possible? Oh man, you're opening a can of big <laughs> worms. I don't care. The big worm can. I, um, I'm you not know, I mean, that, that's, listen, it's like that people that make money, like the creffle dollar people in the world, you know, making money off religion. What, you know, it's a, it's a sticky wicket. So, uh, I was somebody who made, you know, a really good living. Uh, you know, IR doctors get paid pretty well, really mm-hmm. well. Um, but I always thought, hey man, I'm getting up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm coming in. I'm under the. I'm under the. You know, I could get AIDS at any time. Get a needle stick. Uh, got radiation in my face. Had to have a big chunk of my cheek removed because I, you know, got. I, I believe it's from exposure. Too sure. much exposure. Just to X-ray. Day. I'd come out sometimes. X-ray um, fluoroscopy, and I'd come out sometimes look like I had a sunburn. Even though I wore a, a shield, a face shield. No shit. You get, yeah, you get sunburn, radiation burn. Wow. Because and um. So from all day long, you know, doing case after case mm-hmm. after case, you know. And so um, it. I think, uh, I don't know where we're going with that. I just lost my train of thought thinking about my faith. No, you were talking about, off. You, were, you were talking about, we were talking about big pharma for one. Oh I think. yeah. Well, here's the thing, you know, it's, I, I, I get back, it gets back to this. I'm big time evidence makes, uh, evidence-based medicine guy. I'm like saying, hey, in, in Western medicine, what we were proud of is that we do these prospective trials, like uh, prospective forward-based trials, multi-centered, and then and then triple-blinded, and the really good designed trial of a certain drug or a technique or or, or a device. And mm-hmm. you just go, does this really work? And then you'd run the statistical analysis on it, and you just go, oh, yeah, look at this. It really does. Or we'd look at the studies and go, that's a stupid study. It doesn't really, because there's all kinds of ways that this could have ended differently. So they're making lots of assumptions. So we did Journal Club every week in residency for years and years and learned how to really read critically um, you know, these journals. Mm-hmm. And so when things like COVID came along, that didn't really make sense. It was like, okay, you know, I'd like to believe you, but we've been taught to be contrarian about everything and say, where's the evidence? Mm-hmm. And can you have any evidence behind that? You know, and that's what's the, the hardest thing about a lot of things is going, what's, is it anecdotal? Does just go, yeah, we do this. And the medicine, we use a lot of drugs off label, but we knew how they worked, the mechanism. Sure. We go, well, I'm going to mix these two together because when I do that, it really does this incredible thing for vasoconstriction or whatever you need it to do, right? Mm-hmm. Because you knew the pathophysiology body. You're just not cookbook medicine, but it's like you're just, you know, just make massaging it to get it to do what you want it to do, right? So, um, so and with big pharma, I think it, it, they have a profit motive, and medicine does too. But also people should get paid for their, you know, obviously their time and their training and the risk and, you know, the length of education and their scarcity is the biggest one. It's right. like people get, you know, why do I used to say airline pilots, you know, guys to make, you know, now used to be it went down, but now you can make three or $400,000 a year pretty easy as a captain of an airline. And, and I'd go, well, I'm a pilot too. So I know that I've got to stick my butt back on the ground too, whether I have 300 people behind me or just me, mm-hmm. if I mess up. I'm dead, yeah. right? But, but, and so I'd go in medicine. If I mess up, I go to the doctor's lounge, get a cup of coffee, and go back and start the next case. I mean, it's not that flippant, right? Because, but I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the mistake gets buried and you go sure. off and live in. Whereas you're for pilot, 
you die too, right? Yeah. But the deal is you want the guy that's flown in every condition, has thousands of hours of, of, and knows that, know what happens and the, oh yeah, that engine shut down and we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever, that, that wheel that just blew out, I'm just going to land it heavy on the opposite side. You want that guy flying the plane. For sure. Just like you want me in your brain because I've been there years and years and years and thousands of catheterizations and I know what not to do mm-hmm. to rip something that shouldn't be ripped. Um, and so with that comes the responsibility, but also it's a value, yeah. right? And so, you know, how do you, how do you, um, how do you gauge what a value is? I don't know. That's, that's, that's something that's changing. That's a whole nother subject, by the way, of what's happening in medicine right now. Just, it's bizarre. There's some stuff that's just Oregon and Washington are just bizarre. I think that there's, there's a trend towards just kind of all in, you know, inclusive in medicine, just saying, Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, free for all. Like, uh, man, I could get in big trouble. Are you, are you how talking people, about you, how many people watch this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what you say. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can really get, I can really get in trouble I, uh, with I, my opinions here. I think, and I, I think that's important to note. It's an opinion, man. Um, I also think like, you know, people, people don't want to talk about, shit that is the truth people want to hide from the truth and i think that it's bold um you know my my personal opinion is you talk about it you think about it over the next few weeks you don't want it in there we don't have to put it in there we don't have to talk hey, about no it. here's the thing i'll tell you i tell you it's as simple as this but the most dangerous people in the world in my this is my opinion but i say it, it's borne out in all of my 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 experiences in medicine and you know you got the brain trust of people some of the smartest people i know and you're dealing with these guys that are neurosurgeons and and urologists and pulmonologists and stuff like that. And uh, if you can't ask questions and if you can't say, I don't know, mm-hmm. you're dangerous. Okay? Bottom line. But the bigger deal is, do you know enough to know what you don't know so that you can say, I don't know? Mm. See? A lot of people know just enough at that danger zone and they, they, they um, what they call it, the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know sure. what that is? Yeah. So um, it's back in the 90s that there were research PhDs in psychology. And they, um, it comes with this idea that you, <clears throat> um, it's the people that tend to ascend to the top of, of like what they want to be in control are oftentimes, most oftentimes, the least capable and knowledgeable in that. And that's the people that are most capable and knowledgeable that typically don't want to be in charge because they go, holy crap, there's too much to... I don't, I don't want to be the right. one making that decision. But it's frightening because of the fact that the people who really seek out that top spot um, don't know what the hell they're doing mm-hmm. half the time. And I always would say in medicine, if you, um, it's okay to ask. It's actually, I'll respect you more if you say, I don't know, than, than acting like you know something that you don't. That's the worst thing you can be. And so all the time, and we'd get together and be in these conferences and stuff, and and we'd go, man, oh, I don't know. I This has is, this is got me really... Let's, let's dig. Let's see if we can figure this out. And it was very um, revealing as opposed to people that would just think that they know everything. Sure. And so not knowing what you don't know. And, and really what that comes from is a lack of training, a lack of uh, inter- – if you don't have enough exposure to the depths of the knowledges that, that you need to be able to know to be able to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think – how much of that do you think is also like having some humility and some understanding of like the the – it's okay to be, to not know it. 
it's but, okay to not like do is it is it presented in an environment that makes it okay to not know that stuff well here's an ex- here's a funny phenomenon that's occurring that I, I don't know quite what to think of it yet i have my opinions and i'm just trying to think it through better as time goes along so in medicine right now it used to be in allied health okay so the only doctors were medical doctors and then um, over the years i saw this coming back from the 90s i was president in my medical school class and i went to a saturday kumbaya festival over at the allied health building <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like and everybody's talking about all the things that they were going to do and i got it got at the end of the day it came around to me we're in a big a big horseshoe and there's about about 20 25 people in this room i said what did you think about today what do you think about today and it gets around to me and, and to give you a, night, a, back, a little background i mean everybody's talking about how oh we don't need a doctor to do this we don't need a doctor to do this everything was otpt everybody around the circle is like we don't need doctors mm-hmm. and i just i was sitting there here as the only medical student at the table, basically. So it got to me, he was second to the last guy to talk. And I just said, I said, in high school, I played quarterback. You know, I was third string. I, I wasn't that great. I just wanted to play quarterback. And I ran the scout offense. And I never set foot on the field in a real game. Mm-hmm. I just ran the scout offense in practice, right? But I loved it because, you know, I'd been a wide receiver before. That. I was a starting wide receiver in my senior year. I switched over. <laughs> they were all mad at me, but I was like, yeah, I'm done playing wide receiver. I want to play quarterback. Mm-hmm. They go, you're never going to start. I go, I don't care. I love playing quarterback. <laughs> what I did learn from it was this. We'd run the same plays over and over and over. And um, to know that, and the reason for that was that we need to be able to do it when the shit was just real. Your, your head was ringing, you're breathing hard, you're down, you just got hit hard, the crowd is going nuts, and the coach calls a play, and you just need to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. But you also have to have the wits about you to know what everybody in that field is supposed to be doing. And you're reading the defense, and you're saying, wow, I need to call an audible. Look at that, got strong side. They got the monster back over on the wrong side. That's our weak side. We're going to get crushed. I'm going to call an audible and take the place the other way. Mm-hmm. So I said, I didn't go into that kind of detail. I said, sure. in high school, I was a quarterback, and the quarterback, if, I said, everybody on the field, on the offense, all 11 guys had to come into the huddle and give their opinion. And if all 11 guys had to touch the ball before we could advance it down the field, we'd be back going backwards on every single play. Okay, mm-hmm. You have to have a coach, and in the field, you've got to get a quarterback. And I said, if any of you guys want to be quarterback, three blocks down, big red, come join us. We're medicals. We got, we got you know 30 people in our class that are allied health that were pharmacists and nurse practitioners and PTs that have all decided to come to medical school to be medical doctors. Well, fast forward to today, every single discipline gets a doctorate now. You can't even get a master's degree. You can't get an, a, a bachelor of occupational therapy. Every single one now is doctor of science in occupational therapy, doctor of science and a physician assistant training. Mm. Everyone's a doctor. And you go, what does it mean? And see what I'm saying? See where it's going? It's like, okay, it, I don't know what to think about it. But, yeah. but, but, they, but the thing is, it's not for more money, I don't think, because the pie is limited. You know, there's a certain amount of money in the pie of healthcare. And, you know, there's jockeying for who gets a piece sure. of the pie, right? So I don't know what's going to happen. But the, the one thing I do know is that it's just like a PhD. So PhDs are interesting people because they know everything in the vertical. If you look at their knowledge base, it's, it's super narrow and super deep. They know everything there is to know in molecular biology about some protozoan genome that blah, 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 they wrote their thesis on it. And they're incredibly, incredibly narrow, but deep. They know everything there is to know in the universe about that's known about microbiology or whatever they've got their PhD, in, which is what you need. If someone's going to teach that class, you want them to know everything there is to know about it. Right. Sure. And in medicine, 
you get an um, MD degree, you have a, you have a really wide band of knowledge, but it goes really deep. Okay. They expect mm-hmm. it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. You just, they expect you to know so much. When you take your boards, you, you, there's no stupider per, pe- group of people than people walking like they're knuckle draggers out of a board. <laughs> you just finish six <laughs> hours of boards and they're like, oh, I'm going to go. <laughs> I just think I want to be a lifeguard on some beach somewhere. You know, like, right. oh, I'll sell surfboards. I'm done. And so, um, and then, but I think what ultimately happens then you go to residency and you still have to sit for all these crazy boards and learn all this crazy information, but it's repetition. So I, I think a medical education is like, there's a, you know, a, br- a brick wall or like a cinder block wall. Mm-hmm. You're throwing a dirt clod at a cinder block wall, a little bit sticks on a little pyramid. Yep. And yep. the rest of it falls down like this. A good medical education is you just keep throwing dirt clods at the wall. And pretty soon there's a whole bunch of dirt down. You forgot all this stuff, mm-hmm. but you have a really good wall covered with mud. Hmm. And that's what you want as a, you want someone to really know a lot about a lot. Right. Sure. So they can know what they don't know. And they also know where to go to get the answers. Right. Yeah. And then you have specialists that really zero down. But I'm still a medical doctor. I mean, I know about, I had to take psychiatry. I had to deliver babies. I had to do pediatrics. I mean, every single discipline, I had to do that and take tests and pass them in my clinicals, right? And step one, step two, and step three. And so that gives you a, a license to practice medicine and surgery. So when people can talk, talk to, I can talk fairly authoritatively on a lot of, pro, and being a radiologist also, we just had to know mm-hmm. a lot about it. Just continued all the anatomy and then the disease processes and differential diagnosis. Cause we're the people happen. The people get the answers. We'd go all, everything's a puzzle to solve, like find Waldo and then figure out what Waldo's up to. Right. Yeah. And then figure out how to treat Waldo. And then you're, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's such a good point. So That's such a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. First you got to find him, man. You know, and radiologists are really good at finding Waldo. He's right there. How'd you see him like that? I don't know. Just pick up these stupid pattern variants. You know, I this eye that goes, I'm the guy that walks into the room and looks at the picture and goes, it's crooked. Straight. <laughs> just like, you know, talking about rain man. And, um, but what's happened now is that I think that that the word doctor has just been like, well, we want to be doctor because we think that connotes this knowledge. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we don't want anybody to feel like they're less important. So sure. we're all doctors and I'm just go anyway. So that's a big thing. I don't know what, where it's going to go. Um, oh, I feel like it's just taken. It's, I mean, one, you get too many chiefs, not enough Indians you get, uh, you do. And, and then the patients are the ones who you have these, all these different uh, treatment plans, you know, like, well, who said that? Yeah. Oh, Dr. And so-and-so. What, who? Dude, it's yeah. horrible. I have had, I have had nothing but absolutely terrible experiences with every single uh instance we had with did i ever tell you what happened with devin when when she gave birth um well one they uh her leg went numb for like six months after she gave birth to our first child because they put in the block yeah they did something with the epidural but um oh. i don't she got it later on so she, she, during the birth but to make it short um it was like a 36 hour labor and probably hour 20 something. I mean, they, we were well deep into this and she was like, all right, give me the epidural. Cause she didn't want it at first. Right. Mm-hmm. Wanted to do a natural birth. So she, they gave her the epidural and, uh, we ended up leaving. This is actually how I lost my job this is how I started devs with her was because I, she couldn't walk. So she they, to- they couldn't, she was told not to carry the baby standing up. And this lasted for almost six months. She couldn't drive. Uh, couldn't we saw many people throughout this and nobody could tell her why or what was happening which we all in my opinion I'm like yo dude like what why are we looking past the whatever it was clearly like some something was effed up with when they put your epidural in 
it's your legs fucked up. Well, come to find out long, long now we think that she's got scoliosis and that her spine or some shit was, was all messed up during all of this too, which might've made it more difficult during that process. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we had that dude. We had, uh, they left the sutures inside of her when she gave birth and they sewed her up internally. They didn't, uh, melt. They were supposed to be absorbable. And they, they didn't. Um, so we get to this 15th appointment and Devin is sitting in front of the fourth, fifth doctor that we had seen. This is, this is not that long ago. This is a year and a half, two years ago at this point. Um, actually probably two and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, Devin's, the doctor looks at her and she goes, you have stitches inside of you. Still, still. Mm. And this was, uh, Cooper was almost two at this point. So it was almost two years later, dude. So she's this, this tough ass woman is sitting on this table. This doctor looks at her and she goes, we're going to have to create an appointment for this. We're not going to be able to take these out. I I can't. And she goes, get them out of me right now. Cut them out, rip them out, bro. So she gave her, I think a little bit of numbing, but yeah, ripped them out, man. And, uh, Did did they ever tell you why, what happened? No. Did someone just use the wrong ones? I don't know. That's my assumption. My assumption is that they were used incorrectly, but I mean, we thought we, we talked every time I sent an email, man, it was what's going on. Who's no one knows. Where's shit. the, okay. So where was it? What hospital? It was Kaiser, uh, Sunnyside was where she gave birth. Um, we were originally supposed to be at legacy, but that was full at the time. This was, yeah. she, he was a COVID baby. So it was crazy then. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but we went out there and yeah, man, it was just, it was just shit experiences ever since. And people look at you, man, rightfully. So you could probably tell me this more from the doctor's perspective of things, but I just felt so dumb. I felt so stupid. Every interaction they gave me, nobody wanted to, it it seemed like no one wanted to help. It was just like a push off. I don't want to deal with this fucking problem. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I got a lot of comments when I was practicing that people would go, wow, you really explained that. Well, I was Mm -hmm. like, Aren't, aren't you thought, supposed to? People, yeah, right. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I'm supposed to tell you about this, make this make sense, right? Mm-hmm. I draw pictures for people. Um, so yeah, I miss. I do miss it. I, I but um, look, you know, here's the thing. Uh, it's gone to more of shift medicine. You know, it's got people don't want the um, back in the old days. You had your doctor, and that was your doctor. It took you soup to nuts all the way from beginning to end. You know, yep. getting middle of the night. It, they knew everything about you mm-hmm. and it's got it's, medicine's changing and it's, um, you know, you have people, you know, handing off the baton, a lot of people cross covering, you know, and I have a whole, I have a home to get me a really bad, bad situation of world of hurt. If I start talking about what I really think about why medicines, why we're so short staffed, but I'll leave that for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, but, but, um, Anyway, well, that was, I didn't expect to talk about that. Um, yeah, man. No, I, we, I think that honestly, I hear way more of that than I'd like to. Um, and I, I know that I can speak for the doctors that I know that I still don't know anyone that doesn't want to get the answer right. Yeah. I don't know anyone that would leave someone midstream. I mean, the guys I know and the doctors that I practice with, they would just stay late, come early. A part of it is that you want to get it right, mm-hmm. right? It's if you're prideful, you never want to be wrong. Yep. So you do what it takes to do the right thing. You know, nobody wants to be wrong. Right. So that's drives a lot of people just to do, you know, to really turn over stones and, and whatnot. And I think the, the problem is just like anything else that people don't take responsibility. So you have a handoff, you're on call, you're covering somebody else's patient. That's where you see some things go wrong where there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a lack of communication and a handoff. Sense. 
and maybe there's stuff that the and they're they get busy too. I mean, the guys are on call and they've got 103 patients to cover. No doubt, there's no, no way doubt. they can know everything about every patient. I think that the big, if I could provide uh, some perspective on my, my opinion on this, is I don't I don't think I I believe that there's people like that. I believe that there's doctors like that, and I still believe that there are people that give a shit. I think that the problem at hand here is that there is so much lack of what I would consider just structure and understanding of the basis of things is the problem that I had with this entire situation was I felt like every single time I went in there, I was talking to a different person. Uh, I was talking, I would, people were bringing up shit like, and asking the same monotonous questions that I had heard 30, 40 times. And I don't know if that is just people wanting to follow procedure and do their jobs and do their due diligence to try and understand. Or if that was like, yo, nothing has changed since I saw you three days ago. I just felt like it was just I was just shuffled and just thrown around. Well, what was they? What, why were you seeing so many different people? Uh, because they would they would we would just get passed off. We, we with it reached it reached a point where nobody understood why she was in so much pain. And until they found the sutures and they, somebody saw them, then it was like an aha moment, right? But until then, so when, who was who was the person that actually discovered it? I don't or know not her the name. name, but I mean, were they a, it was an OBGYN or I was it? I think so. A, I think so. Yeah. Um, to, honestly, I, it's such a crazy time because we were going through the closure of Pi during all of this oh, too. Yeah. Like we had, during COVID. I don't remember so much of any of it. I blocked it out, man. Right. But I just remember that, that the, the, it put such a sour taste in our mouth of, of the medical system and just how we were treated. Yeah. I'm sorry that I honestly, that, that I hate that when I hear that people have the bad experiences and, and I think fortunately it's not, it's, it's still going to be less than less common than more common. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I can just say, you know, I worked in the, the cath labs of, uh, of legacy salmon Creek and peace health and stuff. And I see from the staff all along the ER doctors and stuff. I mean, I just, I never really saw the apathy. I mean, there were people just, just laying it on the line to get it right. And, um, the, the cardiologists I work with and the other IR doctors and the vascular surgeons, um, we, I'd say by and large, I mean, really were dedicated and committed to doing the right thing, you know. And so I didn't see a lot of that happen, but, you know, you'd hear the um, you'd hear the complaints and stuff like that. I mean, I never got sued my whole career, right? I mean, I had named in a suit, got dumped from it right my first year out of fellowship mm-hmm. like within six months i out of i got named in a lawsuit i was like you gotta be kidding me let me wow. just get yeah and it turned out that i got dumped because i was the person who got it right mm. and i stick by my word i just said this is what i think and i didn't let anybody i had another radiologist try to a senior radiologist try to tell me yeah that's that's ridiculous yeah and i said no i think that she's 24 years old there's no way she has lung cancer I said, looks like lung cancer to me yeah i'm not going to change my you wanted me to change my report to say this it could be this, this, but not cancer. Mm-hmm. And you didn't. I stuck by it, and I was the only one who got dumped from the suit when they went back nice. and de- deposed me, and they said, oh, wow, why are we suing him again? They named everybody. It's like a shotgun. <laughs> Rocky Air Defense, you know, <laughs> get everybody, wow. and they winnow it down. And so that's it's. But I, I'd like to say it was because I took mm-hmm. time. 
yeah, talk yeah, to the yeah, patients. Yeah. Like you get, you make, you build a relationship with the patients and also you are diligent about doing the right thing. You know? For sure. For sure, man. I th- and I'm not, I, I think the good thing about what I understand, I, I have a good head on my shoulders to understand that we could be a needle in a haystack and that there is not, you know, hundreds of people saying the same thing. And I can only hope that there's, I not. hope you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people do have bad experiences, unfortunately. There's a lot of reasons why. And but I have my theory about that, it. Though. Well, one of the theories I have about that is you didn't see this happen back in the days where the doctors were in charge of the hospitals. Mm. Doctors don't run hospitals anymore. Yeah. And when doctors had the authority, uh, the responsibility and the authority, um, things were different because they, it was all patient centered around their patients. Yeah. Right. And it's changed. It's more like a money. It's they, they have the bean counters and they've got to have certain percentage of certain margins of profitability and satisfaction service. So a lot has changed about medicine. Honestly, I think if the pendulum swung back to saying you really can't, you shouldn't be running a hospital if you've never seen a patient at three o'clock in the morning bleeding out. Mm. You had to work with nurses. You just lost an oncology patient. That's a kid and everybody's just grieving and you sit there and just try to make sense of it all. I, I think that that's the problem in my estimation. Dude, I think that, that what you're describing is the, the, even just that problem that you described, not just with doctors, man, but with the country, with, with so much of where America is going right now is what I feel like is, is we need to, people need to take some of that back take real some real some of that stuff back if, in if we can but see the one one thing that i'm going to segue into is something i'm really passionate about is parenting mm-hmm. so how old are your kids yeah. almost five and almost two uh, they'll be Look so guys. yeah they are they're amazing dude so in you want to see a picture of them real quick yeah man dude let me show you these guys Fucking so while you're while you're getting the, the picture i flew back from Kauai last night and um you need another one of those no i'm good okay and I, I, I still have some in there. Making sure. But I flew back from Kauai and there was a bunch of little little munchkins behind me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all it takes is to have travel with kid, little bitty kids. Uh, and uh, you begin to realize, you know, you, when the kids are screaming and stuff like that, it doesn't even bother me. I'm like, you know what? I feel so bad for the parents. Because <laughs> they're hating it. And, then, and the kid's not screaming because they want to. They're screaming because they're locked in a, in a seat in a... Oh, awesome dude they're so cool they, they are, are amazing but i'm saying there's another place of failure there's there's a way to fail at parenting i have five kids are all in college and i'm not gonna brag but i must have good relationships with all my kids so that to me is parenting success i get kids that'll call me and ask advice or they want to tell me something good news that they have or they need my help not just financial but just or want to tell me about something or just want to talk hadn't talked to me in a while and say dad i just miss talking to you what's going on what is your day? What are you doing right now? And to me, um, there's a lot of ways to fail at parenting. A lot of people do. And it's pretty simple on why you fail and why your kids don't want anything to do with you. And really, I believe this. And I'm going to say, you could argue with me, and I'll just get out in your face and go, yeah, how's that working for you? Mm-hmm. Kid doesn't want anything to do with you. Why do you think that is? It's, if you keep putting it on them, you're wrong as the parent. Yeah. Because the parent's supposed to be there for the child. It's a kid. And if you try to if you try to blame everything on the kid, like for instance, the biggest thing you can do as a parent to fail, parent failure one on one is being a hypocrite. Right? They see you telling them what they can and can't do, but yet you do all the stupid stuff. They see you saying don't get mad or don't yell, and then you're yelling like a crazy person, mm-hmm. right? Um, is uh, you know is is losing your mind and not apologizing? I mean, everybody as a parent loses their mind with their kids. I mean, right. you're tired. They're screaming, you know, you say stupid stuff. Well, don't, don't blame it on the kid. 
you go get on your knee, get in their face and go, dude, so sorry. Mm-hmm. You did not deserve how I talked to you. You wouldn't believe what happens to a child when a parent apologizes to their kid. Uh, it radically changes that relationship. Um, and that kid begins to form a bond of trust and endearment towards you that you that lasts a lifetime. And I'd say that it's easy. I mean, I love my uh, kids. Are I just love my kids, I li- but I like them. Every, you, know, you should love your kids, right? Yeah. But I like them as people. They're, they're unique and different. But also, I feel like that, um, you know, I didn't quench their curiosities by saying that's stupid. Um, raised in a you know, religious, you know, Christian home, I, had, I was pretty loosey-goosey. Yeah. About, you know, being judgmental. I just said, hey, you're, you can figure that out for yourself. You know, I can tell you what I think and you want to know what I think. And there's what the Bible says about that. And then there's what you do. Mm-hmm. But really, this is on you. And, I, I, you know, but I love you. Anyway, regardless of what you choose, you still have a place here, you know. And I've, I've let my kids know that no matter what happens in life, no matter, you know, go through hellish times, you need a place to crash you need a place to get away from it all come on you never brought uh you're still you're still a single dude you know i'm still single you're technically by book right but you uh when you got divorced did you ever bring uh, another woman into the house yeah i did uh and i got summarily slapped down by one of my daughters because what happened i didn't know that they were doing this but they really would develop bonds with them, you know, and then they would, it would just be like a dating relationship and we would part ways. And even if I stayed, like I stayed friends with most all of them, you know, Mm -hmm. just didn't, I wasn't ready to date. I shouldn't have been doing that anyway, but, um, but I, but I chose not to get serious with anybody just because I wanted my kids, I wanted our home to be their home exclusively, not sharing it with blended. I've just seen blended. We talked about this. I think blended families, I mean, if people want to do it, knock yourself out. I mean, I'm not going to ever put it down and think, good for you, you know, mm-hmm. try that. Um, but it's just difficult. You take on stuff that uh, you never imagined, Yeah. right? And little dumb things like I would think of, like saying, I like that. My kids all had their own rooms, and I had five kids, six bedrooms. And and I just thought, well, if I bring another family in, and then they got to start dividing up rooms and who's PlayStation, and this is my curling iron, and why well, she borrowed my da 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 You know, you get in the middle of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have to choose sides, you know, or you yeah, have to try fun. to, yeah, try to find peace. And I'm not saying it's not possible to do. That. I think the failure in that is just you have to have an exceptional amount of grace and and patience to be able to get through that. And not, uh, yeah, I mean, I can say I wouldn't know because I didn't go through it because I chose not to. But now that my youngest is in college, I've got five kids in college right now. It's making it rain. Good job, man. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I bet yeah. you are. <laughs> Tuition and. And fees and mm. automobile expenses and you know it's it's pretty crazy. Oh, I get it. But um, I mean, I didn't tell my kids they need to go to college. I I just wanted them to be happy. You know, one of them went off to L.A. to do music, and I was like, "Cool, that's awesome." You know, I'll help you with that. And it was really fun for a season. And he decided he didn't want to do it anymore, so he went off to college to be a orthopedic surgeon or traumas, whatever. He's pre med, you know, senior right now. So. Wow. But I mean, people change, right? You know, sure. you just go, and I just said, hey, honey, do, you know, follow your passion. I'll help you guys if you just keep, you know, focus on a goal and go for it, and then mm-hmm. I'll just help you get there, you know. That's cool being able to provide, like, they don't, I'm, they're fortunate not to have to take out school loans. I just said, hey, you know, I saved money, I put what is, stuff aside. What does that feel like, man? What, what does that feel like? Because I, I feel like to be able to provide, you know, 
to make that decision. I feel like a lot of people reach your, your age and they don't get the option to want to help their kids, you know, be successful or give them the tools. Was that because of just the lack of the ability to do well, it? Just like, just it's one choice. of those things where you just said financial wise, yeah. it's, it's, it's cool having money, yeah. you know, it is. And I think what you're saying right now is a really cool reason, you know, because you get that option to say, Hey, I can, I'm not, you know, I think there's a balance with that of giving your kids the tools that they need to be successful and wanting them to go through. Yeah. Not everybody would agree with me on this. Um, I just had this philosophy that my parents had for me. If if you're working hard and you're in school, that's your job. Mm -hmm. I'll help you, you know? And so I just told my kids, Hey, if you guys are headed in a direction you want to go and you want to get that degree and move in that direction, as long as you are diligent and you show up and do good, decent grades, I'll take care of all the expenses yeah and um it is cool and but the deal is i i want to my goal is to die with zero mm-hmm. i mean you know what i'm saying spend my last dollar and take my last breath and my say that is i've let my kids know that they you know it isn't like it sucks to be you this is my money yeah you know i'm like what can i do to i'm gonna i'm gonna constantly bless my kids if i can you know as long as That's i can I mean, just yeah. say i need to buy a house and kids nowadays and it sucks that they you know average what average Median home price in Clark County was six hundred and some change. It's wild. Six hundred. My mortgage is stupid. Who, yeah, but who? Who? I mean, it's just insane because you know normal people, normal wages on the average wage, and you look at the average wage, and there's no way in. You yeah, can't it doesn't really make pay. sense. Well, the thing about it is, is even apartments are are ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. you spend half your paycheck just. Just, you know, decent I just had job. this conversation with one of my employees. I was like, she was like, oh. she's been chilling, just waiting not to buy a house and not to do all these things. I said, I said, she's like, but even renting is so expensive. I said, listen, it, it's not going backwards. It's like, it's like when you raise yeah. your prices, you know what I mean? And this is the way I look at the housing market. Eventually, like right now we're up, right? And that's sure, right. things will, will drop eventually, but the whole thing's going to freaking drop if that's happening in my opinion. Well, I think my theory, I don't know, shoot, I don't have a crystal ball, but my, if I was guessing, I just think that we might see a decrease in the increase. So that'll be the decrease. It yeah. won't be just doubling every two years. Sure. Kind of ridiculous like it did during COVID. It was just crazy. Um, but I do, I, I think that that's a big problem and I, that's a whole, a whole nother thing what I, I built for, built a condo complex for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And even at that, um, and when it got to time to sell it, um, a real estate agent, uh, said, well, you let me be the agent. I'm going to list the price. I'm going to put the price on these things. And I was mad. I, we got in a big fight over it. I almost fired her because she, she wanted to sell them for a hundred thousand dollars more per unit than I'd planned on. Cause I mm-hmm. wanted to bring this really cool product for a really cool price so people could afford it. And she's like, people are just going to buy these and flip them, mm. make a hundred grand per unit. She can't sell them for that. You got to sell them for market. Here's the market. Here's your comp. This is what they're selling for. This is what you need to sell for. Sure. I was just, so I, I felt like my intention to do some to be a do-getter. I mean, it didn't suck making the money that I made after I sold them for a hundred grand more than I sure. planned on it. But, um, but it just, I, I hated the idea of what, where the market was going. And then, mm-hmm. and then on one hand, I made a lot of money. On the other hand, I just, it just made me sick to my stomach that people paid as much as they did for these products. <laughs> it's like, they were nice. I thought they were nice, but I felt, I felt bad for them to a degree, but then they gladly just snapped them up at the price, you know, mm-hmm. they, all, all the units I put up for sale sold in a week. Dude, my house, just just uh, my neighbor's house went up for sale a few weeks ago. Yeah. The for sale sign up was up for two days. Yeah. Still. Well, yeah. That's it's crazy to me. 
Yeah, well, it is. And so what, what do you do? You know, I mean, just, I don't, I, what do I tell people? I mean, I don't know. I, I'd say that, uh, you know, my niece and nephew uh, live here in the area mm-hmm. and uh, they're, none of them, they're, they're really saving up. But see, the problem is, is they save, the house prices keep outpacing the savings rate at the percentage that they need. So they do a 20% down payment or whatever, that that number is going up faster than the actual savings For right sure. now. So that's like, at some point, you just got to pull the trigger and just bite the bullet and do it. But yeah, man, it's a crazy time, you know, and I hate it for the kids, the generation that, you could get depressed about it, but I still think there's a way. I do too, man. You know, you just got to jump in. And then I remember someone gave me this advice a long, long time ago when I was looking up here, I was interviewing for a job in Salem. And I said, hey, what's your biggest regret? Because the housing was really expensive down there, I remember. Not relative to now, but mm-hmm. at the time it seemed really expensive. He said, yeah, I just wish I'd bought the house I really wanted because I'd be where I want to be. He goes, and it would be painful initially, but he goes, you know, and that's what, and so then when I, when Rachel and I bought here, we just almost threw up the night that we signed the papers because it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so much money, you know, which seems like nothing now, right? Sure. But I would still say it's always going to be painful, just like starting a business, yeah. buying your first house. Man, it is, there's no easy button. And if it's easy, I'm not sure. I don't know. Is it the right thing to do? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think you do hard things. As I say, I knew this guy says, do hard shit. It does. Right? You just got to do do this. It's like lift heavy shit. You know, those muscle people. I mean, I just think in life, you just take, you know, there's a a route everybody goes and then there's a road less traveled. And that's where you see people do the best in life is they go, man, I'm not going to go like everybody else and take the safe route. I'm going to go and see, I'm going to go after my passions. I know I'm going to fail. That's what we talk about. Failure. It, we got this idea that you got to succeed, succeed, succeed. But sometimes failure is the is the is the predecessor of success, and it has to be that way mm-hmm. because you have to have it's about cycle, yourself man. right. Some this back way back long before you're born, uh, they had the boat people. We called them, and they came over from Cambodia when Vietnam and everything fell all apart right after the war in the, in mid seventies. You know, because the Vietnam War it was over, and I was a little bitty kid, and I remember my we had, my dad had some rent houses and stuff. We had these big families of Vietnamese that lived there. And it was insane. They would come over, they didn't speak a word of English. And within five years, they not only did they own their own homes, but they owned like three other houses too. And we always thought, wow, how did they do that? You know, well, when you have nothing and you're okay with nothing, what what's the worst thing that can happen? You go, right you go back, back to, to nothing. Not, but it wasn't that bad. And you went, hey, yeah. I've been there. And you know what? I was still happy. Mm-hmm. So they realize it's not about not having things. It's about the state of mind of where you are. And I think that's, if people think about that, guys like dating and stuff like that, you go, well, ask her out. What's the worst thing she can say? Yeah. No. It's, it's okay. Look, I don't think, I don't think the world does a good job in making it easy on people either though. I think the world makes it, uh, currently society now, I think makes it really easy for people to be brainwashed into thinking that there's an easy route. And so, I I feel like one like you had stated there is there is no easy button if you can realize and you can wrap your head around the fact that no matter what the hell you go through in life what to to get that where you want to be it's going to take some struggle it's going to take it's going to be hard as shit if yeah. you can wrap your head around that that, that is part of the process you yep. accept that then then there's your easy button is the fact that you know that you're going to go through some shit that's yeah. that's really it yeah i i think that's tribulations it's, it's strengthening characters and gives you hope when you get through all that stuff like that you know you i think that 
Yeah, there's a book that um, was written in medicine. This guy named Paul Brand, um, he was like a surgeon to the lepers, you know. And so what happens with leprosy is that the Hansen's disease, it attacks the nerves, the, 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 the sensory nerves at the dorsal roots, and, the, and you can't feel, you can move your, you have proprioception, you know where your hand is, but you can't feel any pain. So these people just reach into the fire and grab a briquette. <laughs> By the time mm. they have it over here, three of their fingers are gone or burned off. And right. like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> don't feel a thing, right? Sure. So the, the title of the book is The Gift of Pain. And it talks about how in our modern society, we're just so anesthetized. Nobody wants to have a die doc, doc. I don't want to feel a thing. I mean, it's like, okay, there's a reason why you're going to have pain. But we all try to insulate ourselves from it and anesthetize ourselves, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain or financial pain or, you know, social pain, you know. And what, what the book basically goes down to is that it's really a gift from God. That pain is something that, like, you know, a bone, for example, has, ten, has a stretch receptors. It, believe it or not, bones actually do bend. Um, but in the really, really delicate that it's able to sense if the bone's bending just as it hurts. Like, have you ever heard bone pain before? That's why broken bones hurt so much, because the periosteum has such pain receptors and the bone moves and that's why you put casts on because you want to isolate it. You want to you immobilize it, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the idea is that pain is a protective. In that case, pain is a protective thing, right? You you have if your bone gets stretched too far, you have these feedback mechanism that goes to your dorsal column and says, "Ow, the bone's about to break," and then it goes to the motor neuron and blocks this the stimulus from the brain that says stop. So the the bone goes limp. And hopefully it protects you, not stupid enough to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. And like whatever it is, you stop doing it. And so, but I think in in life, I mean, part of a big failure is if you try to insulate yourself from all sorts of pain, then you really you never really grow. You know, bones become stronger when they're exposed to stress. Right? That's how you make a bone grow. You know, increased mineral density of a bone is direct reflective of bending and weightlifting as weightlifters have a lot more bone density than regular people. That right. means their bones are stronger too. You know, you can fall out of a tree and get right up and somebody else can fall out of a tree and break six or seven bones, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because the other person has stronger bones. So they've been more um, able to, to, to ad, you know, adapt to the pain of whatever it is. And I think life's the same way. I think people that are the strongest people I know, our people have gone through tremendous pain and failure, you know, relationship failure. They've gone through rejections and stuff like that. It really makes them the emotional pain. It can make you bitter or better, right? They say, but yeah. I think honestly, that's your a real growth opportunity. When people go through stuff like that, how can you be better as a result of this failure? You know, you get there and you just go. I mean, so in my own life, I say I learned a lot from it. One of the things is that that, that I can tell you is I've just never lost my desire to continue to step forward. You know, there's been moments where I was just like, oh, got to be kidding me. Really? You know, the, 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 the big loss in my, of my shareholdership in the company that sold really stunned me because it was, it was so life-changing. Like winning the lottery, basically. My whole life, at, you know, 100 million, 94 million bucks is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that um, that would have really changed a lot of stuff. But you know what the beauty of it is? I'm still, I'm really happy. Now I can look back and go, you know what? It's okay. I learned, but I also learned something else is that I just said, you know, I'm good. I'm just thankful, right? I do the dumbest things. I'll be walking along and I'll just go, man, I'm thankful that 
my hip and my knee and my foot don't hurt and yeah. walk in a straight line. I'm grateful for that. And just thank God. You know, I just go, man, thank you. I got this good, this is a good day. Take a deep breath and you can breathe in without coughing. And you go, stupid little things like that. Just be thankful, man. Take a, some, yeah, take it for granted. Take it for granted, yeah. Yep. So gratitude extends to the the, minu- the minutia and the mundane, right? And I think it's so cool when you can come to the place where you just go, that was really cool. You know, just having a great conversation with somebody. And there's no phone. There's no interruptions. And you just go, ah, that was a great. It's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird when you look on your, like last week when I was in Kuwait, <clears throat> I got a notification from my phone almost protesting that my my screen time was down 27% last week. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, suck it, iPhone. Right. Because I was like, I left, it, left it, you know, and people, I'd, get, I'd go find it and I'd have like blown up all these mm-hmm. people, you know, trying to get a hold of me and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I rebuke you. you Dude, hap- I get it, man. I get it. I deal with the same thing, but it's uh, that's a really great outlook that you have on life. I think a lot of people... Uh, can take take a lot from that but i think that's a good note that we should end on i think so too because uh i gotta pee again but man um i gotta say i'm i'm baffled i you you had me glued the entire conversation me? man i really, really? appreciate it oh, i appreciate man. you no, taking I've, the time to, to absolutely sit with me. no i hope uh, I, like i said i i like other people i i don't think that i have all the answers i just have a lot of observations about things that happen and i hope that's the way you get older in life and go you sure. either soak it in and reflect from it or you just or you just live with regrets you know the happiest people i've known are people that just are so peaceful in their old age because they just they they did what they dreamed of doing you know and they just kept putting one foot in front of another and they're grateful it's amazing man it's amazing all right right, guys well thank you so much for tuning in i really appreciate it um if you guys have not yet do me a favor please hit the subscribe button if you're listening on spotify you can help us out dramatically by leaving us a review it's in the top left hand screen on every one of the episodes there's a little bell button you can hit that you can also hit the rate button rate the podcast it will help more people see it we greatly appreciate it because we do not take shit from this i make nothing in fact no i lied that is a lie that is a lie i do get free beer from our great sponsors (laughs) backwoods brewing company you are amazing thank you guys so much for sponsoring this podcast they don't ever ask that to do that they get front row seats right here you see this guy so they get the dream sickle that's right recommend it was good anyway guys i love you all thank you so much for the support wouldn't be here where we are it would not be here where i am today if it was not for you guys watching and listening to this so thank you so much and we'll see you guys next week later Uh